1: is the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I promise now here's BK and Ferrario next pitch swing and a high fly ball out towards right center field forget it into the third deck out there Wow. And that's it. And Soto advances and beats Otani. It'll be Mancini and Story, Alonzo and Soto. And that was really
3: entertaining. That's about as good as it gets when it comes to a home run derby. And Tanner with Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We've got Andrew Martian with us today filling things in or holding things down as the producer for the show today. Tanner, I'm not typically a home run derby guy. Me neither. It's kind of gotten to the point of the dunk contest where it's like, okay, yeah, I've seen all of these. You have done everything that there is to do. The new format, and I say new kind of in quotation marks. I don't know how long we can continue doing this before it's no longer considered to be new, but this format that they've gone to adds so much energy to an event that needed it desperately And that competition between Soto and Otani was unbelievable. Two of the faces of the sport moving forward. I was watching this with my fiance last night and she couldn't care less about the home run derby. Has no interest in watching anything baseball wise that's not Cardinals related. She was captivated by it. She was locked in on it. That is what baseball needed. They need stuff like this to be able to sell the sport to a different audience that wouldn't otherwise be interested. And last night, specifically with Soto versus Otani, but it continued even after that, that's about as good as it gets.
4: Yeah, it was a great tournament to watch, and you had all the storylines coming into it. And I think that's what really kind of made the Home Run Derby more stand out more to me this year because normally you see some of the young guys go to the derby but this year you get the storylines of otani as you mentioned a two-way player that's pitching and leading off tonight in the all-star game you get salvador Perez, a catcher that's there pete Alonso, the defending champion who we all seem to just forget about (laughs) until last night then you get trevor story the hometown guy trey mancini's in the derby gets to the final who overcame colon cancer. I mean, all the storylines heading into it. And then, of course, the youth, as you mentioned, won Soto. Uh, to me, the storylines were what stood out. And, and like you mentioned, that first-round battle between Soto and Otani, at first it felt like it was going to be one of those where it's like, oh, wow, Otani didn't perform, and then he picked it up. And then he get into the tiebreaker, and then they, he gets a chance to walk it off, and it comes up short because he's admiring it. And then you go to the swing-off, and Soto puts on a show and hits back-to-back-to-back shots. And then Otani lines drive. It was a great home run derby. I, I was with Hugh heading into it last night. I was like, ah, you know, I'll have it on. I'll be in the background. I'm not going to watch. After watching, I think it was the second round, Gallo and Story, I think, who I saw second. I was like, yeah, I think I'm kind of invested (laughs) into this. And that was the
3: worst one. Yeah, the entire event, the worst matchup was Story versus Gallo, which was stunning. Like, if you told me going into this thing, who if it's not Otani that wins it, who's going to be the guy that steps up? I would have picked Joey Gallo because he's got the perfect swing for this it's the launch angle it's purely power he's not an average guy and he'd been hot coming into the derby too it made all the sense in the world for him to be the one and by the way he grew up in nevada so you've dealt with the elevation before you should be able to know how to uh, deal with that. It didn't go well for him. Oh, the guy throwing to him didn't help him out either. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well,
4: you're gonna blame the pitching coach or whoever was with him? Come on.
3: You've got to have the right pairing. You do. That, you it's really do. such an oh, important factor did, in this. That was say? my issue when I did the home run derby oh, too. Just, yeah. <laughs> oh. The guy that was bitching to us was with the ratio. You know that makes he sense. He did a fantastic actually. job. It was on me. Oh, uh, but. <laughs>
4: He's funny, too. They said with Otani, Otani's going. oh, this is the first time he's thrown to him. And apparently he's throwing, like, sinkers. What do you mean he's throwing sinkers? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you don't want that in the home run derby. And you can see Otani made an adjustment, like, halfway through as well because he realized, oh, so the line drive swing, that's not going to work for this? All right, here we go. And he just started mashing them. It was it was unbelievable to watch. I also can't imagine being Salvador Perez. Uh-huh. Because you go up against Pete Alonso in the first round of this thing, who hit 35 home runs, setting a new record for the opening round. And ESPN, I don't know what you guys were watching last night. I was watching the main ESPN broadcast. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we're not even going to watch anything that Salvador Perez does here. It's, it's as if he's not actually hitting. This is batting practice for somebody that's out there. It's just a fan or something. We're going to talk to Pete Alonso for the next four minutes. It's like, wait. And then Salvador Perez goes out there and puts up the second best number by any player in any round with 28 homers. It was, I can't imagine being him today. I'm
4: pretty sure too. Like you don't even like he's on the left side of your screen and then the right, they're talking to Alonso. I'm pretty sure you don't hear a mention of, Hey, Perez is at this number until he gets <laughs> yeah. to about twenty-five, and then it's like, oh wow, look at that, Perez! I thought that was impressive, especially coming from a catcher.
3: It was ama- It was the best round ever in a home run derby by a catcher. It was. He was incredible, and like you
4: said, he just got kind of forgotten. And then they bring him onto the broadcast later. It's like, hey, you know, you had twenty-five. You just happened to run into Pete Alonso. Oh uh, yeah, we only saw about five of them because we were talking to Pete.
3: It's it's pretty cool because when you look back on this year's home run derby, I mean, Juan Soto is one of the best young hitters in the sport since like the 1930s Shohei Otani is doing things that the only comparison we have for it is Babe Ruth uh, Pete Alonso now going back to back for the first time so it's since and Cespedes he's the third guy to ever do that in the home run derby joining Cespedes and Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, Salvador Perez doing what he did among catchers Joey Gallo was a big time storyline going into this the hometown guy with story and then of course you've got Trey Mancini who is coming back from cancer. He missed all of last season. He's been great so far this year. He ended up being able to produce in this home run derby, and then he makes it all the way to the finals. And had a heck of a final round, too. I mean, it just... It's a uniquely baseball storyline in a season that really needed something like this. Because as much as we've talked about the crap that's happened in baseball, whether it be the CBA last year and them not being able to come to terms on actually playing a full season or the CBA that's hanging out there in the distance for this offseason, the substance issues that we've talked so much about this year, the three true outcomes, all of that. For baseball to be able to celebrate the young stars and some of the great storylines that are taking place in the game right now, last night, and then again tonight with Shohei Otani, we're watching ESPN right now, and they're showing Otani and how he's going to be, first of all, in last night's home run derby, and then he's going to start the game tonight, and then he's going to bat leadoff in the game tonight. This is what baseball needed. They needed a little bit of time to just be able to recapture the hearts and minds and imagination of baseball fans everywhere.
4: And and the thing that killed them last year was because of the shortened season, there's no all-star game. So you don't have that because this is always that time of the year where you get kind of that. I don't know if you want to call it a settling feeling, but it's okay. I don't have to worry about what the Cardinals are necessarily doing. We'll talk about it, but I get to relax. and I get to watch the best players on the field and go do what they do best. You didn't have that last year. So you come in from a season where you have all the negotiations about playing the season, and then it continues to linger over. And then you come into this year, and it still lingers over. And then you bring up the the foreign substance and the three true outcomes. Now you get to the all-star break, and it's just kind of a weight off of everybody's shoulders. It's like, oh, wow, look, we get to see the best guys do what they do best. And it's great for baseball. I, I'm excited for next year's Home Run Derby already. I want to know if Pete Alonso is going to go okay. for his third. <laughs> what come on Pete Alonso for his third they're talking about maybe Vlad Guerrero Jr. Fernando Tatis said he might challenge him next year he's gotta do it oh yeah
2: I don't see him losing Tatis, Tatis? no 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 Alonso. Oh, as no, long as he's in the derby I don't see him losing you don't poke with the polar bear I so Pete Alonzo is a really good player
3: but his performance in the home run derby is unlike anything I've ever seen he's
2: made the more dude... yeah he's made more money in the home run Derby than he has playing for the Mets.
3: He made $675,000 or will make $675,000 this year. He made a million dollars last night, a million dollars. That's enough to go back for your third try. You have to, you yeah. ha- you've got to at least every year that you continue to win this thing, you've got to go back to be able to reclaim your throne. And you're going for history too, if you're Pete Alonso, yeah. Because no one's won it three times in a row. As Does you mentioned. Does he switch pitchers again? Cause no. this is a different guy than he used last year, right? Yeah, because I don't I don't remember who or he used last time. Two years hard. ago, I guess he used, Dave he used a body
4: from uh, his from cousin. Cleveland. His yeah. cousin's who it was, and then he used I think the pitching coach for the Mets this year. Yep. So yeah, I think you have to. Now, granted, I would keep that bat. That bat uh, did some damage.
2: I don't that pitcher though that he was using was throwing just everything down the middle. They showed like a like not a spray chart, but where all of the pitches were located. They were all in the middle. It was amazing. It was amazing, except for the one that he purposely hit him with.
4: I, I thought it was
3: wild. I thought it was li- <laughs> Who, he did He had to do that on purpose. Juan Soto got thrown behind, didn't he? Yeah, that was amazing. It was cool to watch. It the whole thing from start to finish, other than a couple of little details on the broadcast, which whatever. It, it is what it is. The home run derby broadcast. I'm not gonna complain about it. Um, other than that, it was just about the perfect night for baseball. You couldn't have asked for a whole lot more. And if you're a Cardinals fan, watching Nolan Arenado as the water boy for Trevor's story. I don't know if you guys heard this. It was on MLB Network Radio before the Home Run Derby yesterday. Nolan Arenado was on talking with the guys, and they asked him about his relationship with Trevor Story and what he was going to be doing during the Derby. Here's what he had to say.
0: And then obviously being in the locker room is a little weird, but it, it feels normal having Story right next to me. It feels right, man. That's my boy, and I'm going to be this towel guy. I'm going to be his water boy, and uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to take care of him tonight. You are? Yeah, I got him. Whatever he is, water boy. Help me oh. there.
3: Oh, that was a
4: recruitment for
3: sure. Are we watching breadcrumbs with every instance in which these two get together? We heard the stories when the, no pun intended, when the Cardinals were out in Denver with Nolan Aranato and Trevor Story going to dinner together the night before we talked to Nick Groke and he was like, yeah, maybe he's kind of pitching him on coming to St. Louis. I don't think they're going to trade for Trevor Story. I'm off of that train. I I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know. It could be interesting this offseason to see what the Cardinals decide to do there.
4: Yeah, I'm with you because it does feel like the breadcrumbs are being laid. It's just going to be a matter of, will DeWallet open and bring in Trevor Story? I'd love to see it. It'd be a heck of a story. And imagine that infield. Tommy Edmonds, a gold glove caliber second baseman defensively. Trevor Story's at short. He's incredible. Oh, I even forgot about Nolan Gorman. Yeah, Nolan Gorman. Then Paul Goldschmidt and Arnado, who we've already talked about being your cornerstones in the infield. It'd be a heck of a story. I, I think it could be the breadcrumbs. It, it feels kind of like LeBron recruiting Anthony Davis, kind of. No?
3: It almost feels like when LeBron was going back to Cleveland. Oh, and he where, brought in uh Well, it, like the pre... The year before, there were a lot of signs. Like, LeBron put his house up for sale. He bought a house in Cleveland. There was all this different stuff that was taking place where it was like, hey, maybe he's going to end up going back there, even though nobody actually believed he was going to leave Miami because why would you leave Miami for Cleveland? Kind That's of feels point. that way with Trevor's story right about now. It's 11:15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up at 11:30, we're going to talk some blues with Joe Haggerty of Boston Hockey Now. He's the one that wrote about the possibility of trading Vladimir Tarasenko to the Bruins. Would the Bruins be interested in a deal like that? And who would they potentially send back to the Blues? We'll talk to Joe Haggerty about that coming up at 11.30. Jeremy Rutherford joins us coming up at 12.15. Coming up next, we got to talk a little bit about this Rams case that was in court here in St. Louis yesterday. It's moving forward in a big way, and it might change the direction of what I was expecting to happen in this case. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN.
1: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsh. I'm Brandon Kyle. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. In about 10 minutes or so, we're going to be joined by Joe Haggerty. He's the lead Bruins and NHL writer for Boston Hockey Now. He's the one that wrote about the possibility of the Bruins trading for Vlad Tarasenko. So we'll ask him what he thinks Boston would be willing to give up in a trade like that. He joins us in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, we got to talk about the biggest news in St. Louis. Honestly, yesterday was the rams case the nfl's case moving forward in courts if you haven't been paying attention to this yet it's time to officially start doing so we haven't talked a ton about this case on this show uh frankly because we didn't know where it was going to go i figured uh, whether it be the judge throwing it out or there being a settlement something to that degree i didn't know what the future was going to hold for this case well now we kind of have a little bit more direction So the judge yesterday in this case declared that the league and multiple owners have to turn over their financial information. This was during a more than two hour hearing on Monday. Uh, The judge said that uh, they can seek financial records from the league. They can seek financial records from Stan Kroenke. Clark Hunt, the owner of the Chiefs, Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, John Mara, the owner of the Giants, Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, and Jerry Richardson, the former owner of the Carolina Panthers. Now, St. Louis' side is also going to get um, or try to get records from other owners as well. They've got 10 days to be able to find out if they can do that. This is a significant piece to the story because it indicates that the court's believe that there is enough information here to warrant punitive damages. And what I mean by that, from everything that I understand with all the legalese, is basically the judge, by declaring this, has said, yeah, St. Louis, you got a case here. And in order to properly award what the uh, monetary, monetary value is of your case, we have to start looking at some records. And that's where this comes into play. So over the next weeks, months, potentially years, that's where this is heading is St. Louis trying to find out how much money they can be awarded through this case. And this is how you get to that end. Yesterday was a huge, huge, huge day for the city of St. Louis for their case against the NFL. And if they continue moving forward here, if they decide not to settle this out of court, you're going to start seeing some of the discovery process, and that's going to put some stuff into the public light that the NFL absolutely does not want out there.
4: Yeah, the NFL is historically known for wanting to settle so that they can kind of Hell yeah. hide the truth. And it St. Louis does not seem like they're going to be willing to settle at all. So we're going to see interesting stuff come from this case. And that's a big blow. And you can start digging into owners' finances. They don't like that. We, we hear about a different sport, but Major League Baseball, what's the thing that the players complain about is that the MLB owners are not forthcoming with what they make and bring in in revenue-wise. NFL owners are the exact same way. So getting approval to dig into some of these owners, especially Stan Kroenke's uh, checkbooks, checking to see what what their finances are, that's huge. And like you said, we're going to see stuff come out of this case that we may not have been expecting. And then the, possibly the payment that could be coming towards St. Louis could be
3: historically huge for the, for the city. And honestly, the money part doesn't... It matters three billion dollars for however much money they end up getting paid out on this. It matters. I don't want to belittle that, but for St. Louis, and we're getting some text on this from the six one eight guys. Don't settle. We're winning this lawsuit, and even if we don't win, we are winning. I think there is a large group of the St. Louis population that views it that way. Like, forget the money portion of this. It's about the discovery find out what exactly the NFL knew when they knew it, bring that to public light. And this is essentially like it's a different way of going about it, but it's an expose on the way that the NFL does its business. Because if, if what St. Louis is saying is true, if their argument is indeed found to be accurate, the NFL's relocation policies are basically a bunch of nonsense And if that is the case, well, then everything the league does in terms of trying to leverage itself on cities. So Chicago, for example, right? They're talking about uh, wanting to move the the team outside of the city to get a new uh, stadium. Well, that's not really leverage anymore. That's just something you can do. Like, go for it. Fine. Great. Because nothing that you're telling me is true. All of this is just completely made up. You can do whatever you want within the league. All of these things that you have written down on a piece of paper, they're guidelines, not rules. So why would I listen to anything that you have to say as if you're negotiating with me in good faith? So if the league doesn't change that moving forward, and they're not going to, because why would they? What the, what St. Louis is doing here could expose them as the frauds that a lot of St. Louis believes that they are. Yeah, and and that, it, that's a huge thing.
4: And it and it, it it exposes that we've known that this this is kind of the line. We know there's been this line on relocation, but now it exposes that that line wasn't a firm line. What it exposes is that it was one of those lines that owners could kind of step over, and there was no punishment. It was oh well, how how much can I test the line. And apparently, you can just run past the line. There's no testing it, and I think that's what's that is what's being exposed through this lawsuit. And I think bringing up the Chicago things a perfect example of it because they've got the, they're working on trying to leverage into a new stadium, yeah. and then it becomes interesting for teams like San Diego when they had the Chargers, and then you've got the Oakland Raiders or who lost. Jacksonville. Oh, I didn't even think of Jacksonville. But like when
3: Jacksonville comes up, if they end up eventually, they're going to want to move. I don't know when that's going to be. Maybe it's five years from now, ten years from now, thirty years from now. Totally I don't know. know. But whenever it ends up being, they're gonna wanna move and they're gonna do the same thing to Jacksonville, what they just did to St. Louis. That's coming. And Jacksonville's probably gonna wanna keep trying to keep the team, and they are probably gonna be negotiating in bad faith from the league. So St. Louis is basically saying or looking at Jacksonville right now, saying, hey, here's their here's their playbook. We're showing you the playbook. You remember when the NCAA, the FBI came out and they were like, hey, we've got your playbook. You gotta stop with this. Well, it didn't end up stopping anything. It changed absolutely nothing in the sport until the NLI came back. But that's what St. Louis is trying to do here. They're showing every other city around the league right now that has a franchise or that would like to get one. This is how they conduct their business. Do you really want to be in business with a league like this? Now, a lot of these cities are going to say yes, because it helps them as well. It's a mutually beneficial relationship, but that changes once that team tries to look elsewhere. And I think that's what St. Louis is trying to accomplish.
4: Yeah, I'm with you. You're you're exposing the NFL for the business partner that they are, and your hope is that it really—I don't know if you want to say it really crumbles the NFL, cripples the NFL. That's probably what makes them look looking. bad. It definitely makes them look bad, but it's going to be tough to sell. Now, Jacksonville probably helps their case, so maybe you're trying to help them out so they don't lose their NFL team because you went through the process. And there, I can't think of anybody else that's on the verge of a possible relocation. At least none that come to mind. So. It helps Jacksonville going into their uh, case. But then it also – your hope maybe is that it it hurts the NFL when they look towards an expansion team. And I, I think – It doesn't. Oh, well, okay. I hate
3: to be well, very bad news, wow. but the league's going to keep doing business. Um, but what it does is, like, it, it just shows it, – it puts all of this into the public light, puts it all into the public sphere. And if you're St. Louis, that's the goal here. That has to be the goal. It, it can't be about the money and maybe that's a – a portion of this after the fact, but the first goal has to be that uh, from the 618 guys, I don't follow football a lot. Can it be explained what's going on here? Well, you probably heard the Rams left St. Louis Um, and they did so by negotiating in bad faith, according to the St. Louis side of things and never actually cared whether or not St. Louis tried to put together a proposal that would keep the Rams in St. Louis and the Ram side of things, basically them saying, well, we had this lease, it had this agreement, St. Louis didn't negotiate in good faith, and therefore we left to L.A. I think we all know what actually happened. And now it is being argued in court as to which side is correct and how much the NFL and the Rams knew and when they knew it and when they started to plan to go to L.A. And based on some of the things that have come out previously and came out yesterday in court, it sounds like this was nearly a decade in the making. And if that ends up being the case, and over the course of a decade, they were planning to move to LA, well, yeah, there's going to be a lot of egg on the face of the NFL, and they are both going to have to pay for that in terms of money, and also in terms of bad PR that is going to be put out there for the league. Will they get through it? Of course they will, because it's the NFL, and that's how they do business. But it's going to look bad, and anybody that had a bad taste in their mouth over the NFL already is going to get even worse as we move forward.
2: It's ironic that it's been a decade in the making with the Rams having a decade's worth of losing seasons. So <laughs> yeah, that's ironic.
3: With Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsh, I'm Brandon
2: Kylie coming up in about 15
3: minutes or so. We'll play uh, some questions and answers. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, though, Joe Haggerty's the lead Bruins and NHL writer for Boston Hockey. Now he's proposed some interesting possibility of Vladimir Tarasenko trades to Boston. What does he think that would include, and how likely is that to take place? We'll talk to Joe Haggerty about it next on One Hundred and One ESPN. This is the BK
1: and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: and i'm brandon Kylie. it's bk and ferrario on 101 espn let's go out to the brown and crouppen celebrity line to talk to joe Aggerty. he's the lead bruins and nhl writer for boston hockey now he wrote the piece that we talked about yesterday about the possibility of vladimir tarasenko making sense for the boston bruins joe we always appreciate the time man how you doing today
0: for sure. I'm doing great. How are you guys doing?
3: Doing very well. So let's start with that. The big question here in St. Louis is where Vladimir Tarasenko could go, who he makes sense for. Do you believe he makes sense for the Boston Bruins?
0: I, I do, but it, 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 the Bruins are in an interesting scenario uh, because they've got so many question marks right now as far as their own free agents. Uh, Taylor Hall, David Krejci, Tuka Rask. You know, they've got a lot of decisions to make. Uh, ahead of free agency, ahead of the expansion draft. But uh, just, you know, on paper, if we're we're looking at this, he yeah, absolutely makes sense. Of course, it depends on the cost. Uh, but if the Bruins do re-up uh, Taylor Hall and David Krejci, if they do uh, get them at, at pretty decent contracts, if the St. Louis Blues were willing to eat some of the money on Tarasenko's deal uh, to kind of lower uh, their expectations and their sort of uh, – cap responsibilities i i think it does uh, make some sense and certainly on its face the bruins would look at a second line of hall creche and tarasenko and say to themselves man that would be dynamic and yeah it makes sense from that level for sure
3: the next question of course is okay sweet he makes sense for the bruins but what would they be sending back and here in st louis joe we've talked a lot about the blues issues on the left side in particular and you've got two players that seemingly could be available in Jake DeBrusque and Trent Frederick, who would help a lot there for the blue style of play in particular. Do you think either of those guys could be available in a trade like this?
0: I think Jake DeBrusque would definitely be available. Uh, he's coming off a down season. You know, I think he had to only had five goals. Uh, he definitely struggled this past year. I, I really put him in the category, though. Uh, uh, there were a lot of guys that struggled around the national hockey league this year that were in their early twenties that don't have families uh, that kind of had a rough go of it uh, when they were, you know, under these COVID restrictions and basically living on their own for the entire season and going to practice and coming home and not really doing anything else in their life. And I I think it was a really difficult off ice lifestyle for guys like Debrusk, And I think that translated into struggles on the ice, but this is a guy that scored, 27 goals in the league before in a season. He's a former first-round pick. Uh, I think that he's a good bet to bounce back offensively and, and score some goals. So I do think he would be in play uh, if the Bruins were talking to the Blues uh, about a trade and, and something going back to St. Louis. Frederick, I think, would be a little tougher for the Bruins to give up, only because I think he fits the style of play that the Bruins want. He's a Bruin-style player, willing to drop the gloves, willing to – you know, stick his nose in there and start trouble. Certainly physical is getting better as a former first-round pick and is, you know, early to mid-20s. It's still improving as a player. Last year was his first full year. I think they would be less inclined to give up Trent Frederick. And the other thing you look at is the draft pick. Um, Don Sweeney does not want to give up first-round picks. He is loath to give up first-round picks. That was the holdup, really, when the negotiations were going on trade-wise between the Buffalo Sabres and the Bruins. For Taylor Hall, the Bruins did not want to give up a first-round pick. Kevin Adams and Buffalo wanted a first-round pick, and the Bruins ended up winning that battle and not giving up the first-rounder before executing the trade with Taylor Hall. So I would expect, if there are trade discussions between these two teams, that the first-round pick that I'm sure the St. Louis wants to get uh, for a guy like Tarasenko, would would be a a bone of contention for both sides.
3: Joe Haggerty is our guest here on 101 ESPN. He's the lead Bruins and NHL writer for Boston Hockey Now. So let's let's talk for a second about Jake DeBrusk because it seems like he would be the more likely of the two to come back in a package for a deal like this. Can you tell our our listeners kind of a little bit about his game? I know we saw him in the Stanley Cup back in 2019, but otherwise, for any Blues fans that that don't watch a ton of Boston hockey, what went wrong for him this past season when he only scored five goals, as you said, and what kind of a player do you think he can be if he gets himself right?
0: Yeah, you know, like I mentioned, I I think the the adjustment to just what was going on uh, COVID restriction-wise, I think played a part in his struggles. You know, when, when uh, he struggled this year, when he was going through a little bit of a slump, he had no real escape off the ice. Uh, you know, he was forced to really think about it all the time because he couldn't, you know, go out to a dinner with his teammates. He couldn't, you know, uh, have a drink with a friend somewhere. He couldn't really do anything except sit there in his apartment or go for a walk or, or kind of stew and think about, uh, you know, the struggles that he was having. I think that was difficult for all those players that were in his position. And I think the other part of it, too, is that he's a player that's streaky. Uh, You know, he's been like that his entire career. He scores goals in bunches. He's a very good skating forward, has great goal-scoring ability. When he's going well, he's, you know, skating at top speed. He's attacking the net. He's creating chances. He's got a really good shot. Uh, He's pretty effective in the shootout. You know, when he's going well, you notice him more on the ice in all facets, and certainly you notice him getting tons of shots on net, getting offensive chances created by his speed and aggressiveness and being able to finish on them when he's struggling uh, you don't notice him as much in other aspects. I think he doesn't uh, he's not the same kind of player when he's going through offensive struggles and when his confidence is shaken like it was for long parts of last season Uh, you know but it's the one thing the Bruins want to get more out of him and have uh, you know really implored with him is to affect other areas of the game when he's not scoring to maybe throw a few more hits maybe block a few more shots be a, a better two-way player uh, that that can harass uh, the puck carriers on the other team and create turnovers. Those are the kinds of things he doesn't do as much when he's struggling offensively that they want to see him do more and will maybe curtail the length of the slumps that he has scoring-wise if he's doing those other things in his game. So, you know, he's, he's still a young player. He's only 24. He's still got... Uh, improvements to make and i think that's the one area that if he unlocks that part of his game you're talking about an extremely good player i mean we're talking about a guy in dubrusque that's been a top six winger basically his entire nhl career from the time he got to the nhl has been on david Krejci's left side for the most part uh was removed from there when taylor hall came to boston but this is a guy that's been a top six winger and has been a 20 goal scorer in the league since he basically came into the league until this season
4: Joe, you mentioned in your piece last week about the possibility of this trade between the Bruins and possibly Vladdy about what it makes – would the Bruins have interest in building the trade discussions into a bigger deal involving the Blues uh, defenseman Vince Dunn? He's a young defenseman. It was rumored last year that he might be on the trading block. I'm curious, how much interest do you think the Bruins have in acquiring Vince Dunn?
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of interest there uh, from the Bruins, and quite frankly, that's the biggest need that the Bruins have this offseason is to find a left shot defenseman a left side defenseman that they project can be a top four defenseman in the league you know they have Matt Grizzlick over there uh, he played a lot of top pair minutes with Charlie McAvoy uh, I don't know that they view him as the ideal uh, top pairing left side guy they want a, a defenseman that's a little more of you know a good two-way defenseman a traditional sort of top pairing defenseman and, and I know Vince Den's still young and, and still growing into his game uh, but that's definitely a, a guy that would be an upgrade over what they have now when they're putting young guys like uh, Jeremy Lozon and Jakob Sporel out there. So I think, and I think I mentioned this in the piece, that uh, a Tarasenko-Dunn package deal that would all of a sudden become a much bigger trade does make a lot of sense for the Bruins. And if, if that happens, I think that's when you start talking about, you know, maybe the, the St. Louis homeboy uh, Trent Frederick gets mentioned, maybe a first round pick gets mentioned. When the scope of the deal becomes that big, I think the possibilities expand a little bit. And obviously if the Bruins are, you know, uh, addressing two big time needs with one trade, you would start to see what they're giving up uh, grow a little bit too. So it's, it's intriguing to think about. And certainly St. Louis has some pieces that would be really good fits with the Bruins.
3: Final question that I have for you, Joe, would they have any interest in bringing back Tory Krug?
0: I mean, they'd love Tory Krug. I I think Bruce Cassidy would love to have Tory Krug back. Uh, I, I, they missed him on the power play this year. The power play was not as good. This year, as it's been in the past, he was the quarterback of that high-octane, uh, super-dangerous power play, and it just didn't click as much this year with him not being up top. Uh, they had a hard time finding somebody that could replace him, uh, you know, as a, as a shot threat from the, the top point on the power play, as a guy that could create offensively uh, from that point spot on the power play. And I think for the Bruins, it just came down to a cold-hard business decision where they just didn't think they could pay that kind of money for that kind of term for that player as he was approaching 30 years old and they just weren't willing to go there. But uh, I think, you know, some people may disagree with me, but I think they missed the Bruins, missed Tori Krug more last year than they missed the Dano Chara. And, and that says a lot about Tori Krug and what he brought to the table on Boston.
3: Interesting. Joe, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. All the best and enjoy what I would imagine is going to be a pretty wild next 72 hours or so in the NHL as these teams kind of prepare to submit their expansion draft protection list. All the best to you, and we'll talk with you
0: again soon. You got it. I expect there to be a lot of fireworks in the next few days. It should be fun.
3: For sure. That's Joe Haggerty, lead Bruins and NHL rider for Boston Hockey, now joining us here on 101 ESP. And the way he described uh, DeBrusque sounded to me like a non two way version of Jaden Schwartz. Like a guy that's more offensively driven than Jaden Schwartz, but would be cheaper, younger, doesn't have the injury concerns that you have with Schwartz, but also probably not as good defensively. So if that's something you're interested in, basically you're getting the same streakiness, but without the defensive play and for a cheaper term, uh, that would make a lot of sense for the blues. If it's not something you're interested in, and I could understand if you're not, um, that's where I think your, your idea Tanner of maybe expanding this deal a little bit, including Vince Dunn in there. Maybe that's how you get Trent Frederick's name into the deal. I think he makes all the sense in the world for this team. He's from St. Louis, I would imagine he would love to come back and play for his hometown team. That's just speculation by me, but that's typically the case for a lot of these guys. And he fits stylistically with exactly what they want from a guy like him. He has not produced offensively the way you would like. So far this, in his career, he's played 59 games and he has all of four goals. He has five points in his NHL career. But hearing Jamie Rivers talk about him yesterday, Jamie has worked with this kid uh, here in St. Louis. He has all of the upside you could ask for. If you started him, whether it be on the top line left wing and you think that he can just grow into that role, or if you started him on maybe the third line left wing and you move him up as he improves, he's somebody that makes all the sense in the world for the Blues.
4: Yeah, I'm with you. He makes all the sense in the world. And that's kind of why I've started to lean towards, especially after hearing uh, Joe about – Maybe including—trying to include Dunn in this trade. See yep. if you can move both. We know they were shopping— at Or Krug. <laughs> or Krug. <laughs> I'm yeah, not I didn't even that think of off. that I, I didn't even think of that till you brought that up. And he said, hey, they miss Krug a lot more than they miss Zendaya Char. That's saying a lot about the Bruins' defense, in my opinion. So maybe you try to do a two-player deal, and then you can include a Jake DeBrusque or a Trent Frederick. To me that would make sense if you can do it. I just don't know if Boston's going to be willing to buy in on both and give up both guys and possibly even a first-round pick.
3: Yeah, I, I the pick like take it or leave it. It is what it is. What you'd be really trading for here is Trent Frederick. You you would want the guy. He's a former first-round pick and he's developed and he's cheap and he can come in and he can fill he can plug a hole that you have right now on your roster if you were to trade for him. Give me a second round pick and we'll make it work, especially if you're willing to eat some of that money. Like if you take on Tory Krug's contract and say it's 10 of the 15 million dollars that are due to Vladimir Tarasenko over the next couple of years. If I'm getting rid of that salary slot, I can bring in now somebody like Jamie Alexiak, who's going to help me defensively on the left side. And I'm plugging one of my left wing holes with uh, Trent Frederick. Okay, I've just improved my team significantly. I've made it fit more in terms of the pieces that play the style that my coach wants to play. That makes a lot more sense for me than trying to fit again a, a square peg into a round hole.
4: I'm curious, where do you think we are in terms of this trade talk? We say we, we've talked about, you know, it could happen know, before man. the before the expansion list comes out. I'm starting to get the sense of we may not see it happen until after the expansion draft list are submitted, or maybe even after the expansion draft.
2: I was thinking, I don't see Armstrong making any big moves until Landeskog has decided what he's doing.
3: That's interesting. Let, let's talk about that on the other side. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Where does Gabriel Landeskog land in terms of their priority list? We'll talk about that on the other side. Plus, there was a big time move, a couple of them actually in the NHL today. We'll tell you what they were and what they could mean for the Blues moving forward next on 101 ESPN.
1: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: 65780 oh, is the Air Comfort Service Tax Line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one uh, coming from the 314. Guys, Krug is not being traded. Where is this even coming from? All right, I'll show you where it's coming from. So we talked to Jeremy Rutherford. He filled in. This was, what, a, two weeks ago now? uh with us here on the show and in the middle of one of our segments we're talking about potential moves for the blues this off season and he wasn't reporting that tory krug was going to be traded i want to make that very clear but he did mention the possibility here's what it sounded like
5: don't rule out the possibility of the blues potentially shopping tory krug you know if they decide that they want to keep vince dunn and they know they have mikola in the fold and they know they have Perenovich coming you know do they move that contract so as we sit here today and say you know the edmondson situation that'd be better than what the blues have in tory krug maybe doug armstrong's able to flip tory krug for some help in a different area and maybe they bring in a different defenseman just so many things and that's why that creativity the potential for that is what intrigues me the most
3: so could they trade tory krug this offseason maybe I'm not ruling anything out for the Blues. Like, they're not trading Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Braden Shen. There are certain guys. Pareko's going to be here. Bennington's going to be there. There are certain guys that will not be moved. But other than, like, six, maybe seven guys, pretty much everybody else is at least on the table this offseason. So I think Tori Krug is absolutely somebody that we can consider. And if the Boston Bruins decided, hey, we'll take on the majority or all of that contract for you because we clearly missed him on the power play last year and that's how the blues are able to go out there and get Trent Frederick that helps them on the left side with a young, cheap, cost-controlled player. Yeah, that's absolutely something that I think the team would have to look into.
4: Yeah, I think there's only three guys maybe that the blues don't consider trading, and I think that's O'Reilly, Pareko, and uh, Bennington. Uh, And I would put Perron on that list, but I heard Jamie Rivers say yesterday on the fast line, Perron may be a guy that you could look to move to. So everybody's on the table and if it helps you get some young cost control guys then sure you look at moving a tory krug uh he's probably the one guy i was looking here at the roster he's probably the one guy that they would take uh defensively i don't think you could give them a marco Scandella. i don't think they would want him no. but tory krug makes a lot of sense if they miss him more than zendaya charum that says a lot so yeah if if you can move tory krug and get some young assets then yeah i i would not be shocked if that were to occur this off season
2: now if look at you look at Tori Krug are you hoping that he becomes what Justin Falk did and what he was this year because Blues fans weren't really impressed with Justin Falk his first year with the Blues and I'm not sure if Blues fans were necessarily impressed with how Tori Krug played this past year but you hope that he can become that player also it kind of looks a little sketchy if you're getting rid of the guy that you brought in to replace your captain who won you a Stanley Cup
3: it it would um but if you do so while also then going out and acquiring another defenseman who better fits what you need, maybe it is. We've 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 brought up his name a million times, but Jamie Alexiak is a huge, huge individual who could bring some size to the back end of the defense once again. If they decided that that's the better way for them to move forward, I could totally understand why they would go that route. And when you see a move like this, typically it would be... Like, they're not just randomly deciding, ah, we're going to trade Tory Krug. There's probably conversations that are going back and forth between the team and the player, I would imagine, if that were to to happen. So there's more than just this makes sense for us, we're moving on, see a Tory crew. I would imagine that would have some some input, input from the player as well. And going back to Boston would make a lot of sense for him. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 618. Guys, did you see what the Wild did earlier this morning? Would you have any interest in either of the players that they decided to move on from? So if you missed it, the news this morning in the NHL is that the Minnesota Wild have decided to buy out the contracts of both Parise and Zach or excuse me, Zach Parise and Ryan Suter. So both players are now going to be available for basically veteran minimum salaries, and it's going to cost a ton of money on the cap sheet for the wild over the next, I think it's four years all the way up until 2025 are either of those guys, somebody that you would be interested in Marshy, either Suter or Parise for the blues.
2: I think, and this is just personal opinion. I think Parise Makes more sense than Souter. Parise, we saw he was healthy scratch for the majority of the year. But when it came down to the playoffs, they stuck him in there because they needed to. And he, he lit it up. And he was the Zach Parise that we saw when the Blues played the Wild a few years back. Mm-hmm. He was doing a great job. And I feel like the Blues sort of need that veteran presence that they kind of lacked this past season. You lost an Alexander Steen. You lost to Jay Bowmeister. Now you bring in another KG vet who can bring some stability to this lineup. Not all, not only on the ice, but off the ice and in the locker room as well, because you know the blues they struggled this past year they didn't have those veterans to kind of guide them they didn't have their captain uh and alex petrangelo their former captain now they have roar but yeah i think zach parise would would fit really well into this team um i don't see him blowing you away by any means on, especially on the score sheet but i feel like he would do maybe 10
3: 12 goals yeah you don't expect a ton out of a no guy like not that.
2: A, not
6: at all
4: I, I would have interest in zach parisi uh we talked uh, last week during one of our icebreaker questions i think it was you know is this bottom six good enough for the blues and we decided no it's not we and i think we even struggled to make the bottom six if i'm not mistaken there's a lot of uncertainty there i think if you brought a veteran presence like a zach parisi there, 37 years old you know he's okay last year when he did play coming off 46 point season two years ago i i would i would consider bringing in zach parisi it's going to be about the minimum so it's It's not going to be a lot, and maybe it's too much to say, but could it be like a Corey Perry type move? Let's not forget. He Mm -hmm. went under the radar and went to Montreal, and he played pretty well for them and was kind of a, I don't want to say a leading force of getting them to the Stanley Cup, but he kind of helped mesh that bottom six together and helped them get
3: to the Cup.
2: And with Dallas, too he too. went from anaheim to dallas and he's been in the cup two years both in a players row. make sense for the blues honestly yeah
3: like in, in a weird way you could make a case for either of them coming over here parise could absolutely help in your bottom six and you look at ryan Suter. could he be somebody that takes on that carl Gunnarsson type of a role where you can play up or down in the lineup depending on what you need in any given night yeah he absolutely could is he the same player he once was no but he can help you i think you could sign him to a veteran minimum type of a deal and If he plays 50 games for you next year, I'd feel pretty good about that. So I, I think you can make a case for either of these two guys, depending on what happens with you elsewhere in the market via trade, via free agency, the expansion draft, all of that. I think both guys make a little bit of sense for this blues team moving forward with Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsh. I'm Brandon Kylie coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We'll ask JR that same question. Does he think either of the two Minnesota wild players that got bought out today make sense for the blues? We'll talk to JR about that in about 15 minutes or so coming up next though. Better, worse, or the same? We'll play that game with the Cardinals edition for the second half coming up next on 101 ESPN.
1: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: Tanner Hendrickson, he's Andrew Marsh, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We've got Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues Insider for The Athletic, and 101 ESPN joining us here in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, let's play a game of better, worse, or the same. So basically, I want to ask you guys, do you think these players for the Cardinals will perform better, worse, or the same in the second half of the season as they did in the first half of the season? And we're going to start with somebody that... I thought was off to a great start and then really tapered off Matt Carpenter uh, about midway through the first half of the year that would have been the opposite of what Matt Carpenter did Tommy Edmond Tommy Edmond now at the midway point of the season ish is batting 260 with a 670 OPS he has 20 doubles which is great but just 25 RBI he has only 19 walks this year he's not walking um, Would you say Tommy Edmond will be better, worse, or the same in the second half of the season as he was in the first half, Tanner?
4: I'm on the – shocker, I'm on the fence. It's a daily thing here on BK and Ferrario. I, I think he's going to be about the same. I, I kind of teeter between the same and worse because he struggles so bad against right-handed pitching. His uh, OPS against right, is 6.05, which is that not great. Good. No, and he's hitting 243 against them. I, I don't know if he's going to make a big improvement on that. I would think he's going to get a little bit better. I, I think he's going to stay about the same. I think these are about the numbers we're going to see from Tommy Edmund. I'd like to see the on-base go up. So, I, But I think he's about this kind of player. About a two fifty hitter. On-base percentage floats around three hundred And the slugging's about where it is now, which is about three seventy. So I'll say the same. I think he'll be right around this area.
2: I think it really depends. Like, if this team can get healthy and they can get the same lineup in there on a consistent basis, you can get these players. I mean, this goes with for any player. As long as they're in the lineup in that same key position, hitting within the lineup, I think he can have a better second half. I mean, it just – it's been a tough season so far for all of these sure. guys. But I think, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he can. We've seen it before. We know he can hit. We know he can play defense. I think that – uh you know, you slot him in there at second base. Let him be comfortable instead of moving him around. It's head games. It's head it's games. All his, it's all mental, right? It um, is, and It really is a mental.
3: And it really was just a bad month. He had a bad June where he had 220, he had a 517 OPS in the month of June. He's been right around 700, between 700 and 750 every other month of the season. So he basically had one bad month. I think he's going to be better in the second half. I think we're going to see Tommy Edmond get back on track. He's going to have the same approach that he did at the beginning of the year. Is he going to be hitting for a bunch of power? No, I think we know that by now. But I think Tommy Edmond's going to be better in the second half than he was in the first half. The next guy that I wanted to bring up was Dylan Carlson. So far this season, Dylan Carlson is on pace for about 30 doubles, 15 homers, 60 RBI, and he's batting 260 right now with a 735 OPS. Do you think, Tanner, that Dylan Carlson will be better, worse, or the same in the second half as he was in the first half?
4: I think he'll be better. I I think Dylan Carlson, he struggled heading into the All-Star break. I think he was getting tired. So I I think he's going to use this All-Star break. He's going to rest up. I think we're going to see a bit of a hot streak coming out of the break because he's going to be rested but dylan carlson's one guy that i look at at the plate and he seems to be the guy that seems to be making in-game adjustments we've seen him go from pulling the ball to what he's gotten into the leadoff spot hitting it the other way taking slaps at just to poke it the other way i I think dylan carlson is one of the best all-around hitters for this cardinals team as constructed as a rookie I think he's going to be able to make adjustments as the season goes on. I I think he is going to be better. I would say he's going to hit around 270 to 275.
2: I think great minds think alike, Tanner. I think he also is going to have an explosive rest of this July. I think his home runs are going to be a little bit up there as well. But kind of like what you said, he he just seems like he's already – He already has that veteran presence. When I think about him, I'm like, oh, yeah, Dylan Carlson. It seems like he's been with the team for like five years already, when he really hasn't. For sure. He has that kind of approach. I don't think he's going to be a power hitter this year.
4: I don't think we're going to see a big uptick in home runs because right now he's at seven. I don't think we see him get to fifteen. I, I don't think he. I don't think his approach for this season has him as a power hitter. I think he will develop into a guy that could be a fifteen to twenty home run guy, but I don't expect to see a bunch of home runs coming from Carlson in the second half. I expect him to be more of a gap to gap double sure. hitter.
3: Sure, I think he's going to get close to that. I think ten to fifteen will probably be the range that we see him in, and that's about right for where he's at right now as a hitter. He's another guy that has some weird splits though. He's batting three twenty five this year against lefties and two thirty seven against righties the Cardinals have a lot of players right now that have significant splits in a way that is a little problematic and they've got to get that kind of close. They've got to close that gap a little bit. And if he's able to, He's going to go on a tear in the second half of the season. Like you could see a month where Dylan Carlson hits 315 and he gets his batting average for the season up into that 2 set or 275, 270 type of a range. I'm going to go better for Carlson as well. No surprises. Two guys that I've been high on all season long. I'm going to continue being there. I think both Edmond and Carlson are the reason why I'm optimistic about this offense moving forward. Because I think that we've seen now Goldie's getting back on track. Uh, Nolan Arenado has basically been the player that we expected him to be. But they haven't been able to add multiple other pieces to that consistently. I think Edmund and Carlson have the potential to do that. Next player that I want to ask you about is KK because he had a weird first half of the season. He was not going deep into games to start things off. As we continued moving forward, he got a little bit better. Most recently, he's been outstanding for the Cardinals. Tanner, do you think KK will be better, worse, or the same in the second half of the season for the Cardinals? And do you think he will finish the season with the Cardinals?
4: Oh, okay, well, I'll first start off with I think he will be better because I've liked what I've seen since he's returned from the IL. He's got six starts and he's got a one nine five ERA, two quality start, or sorry, three quality starts during that span. In his last three starts, he's allowed one earned run. Yeah, and he's looked really good. I think KK's totally. I think KK's now, and this is kind of a little bit of a speculation on my part, I think he's actually healthy again. And I think we're going to see him start going deeper into games. So I'm going to say better for KK because I like what I see in his last three starts. Will he be with the Cardinals I'm on the fence right now. Shocker. Well, yeah, shocker. Uh, right now, I'm going to say no. I think that he's the most valuable asset that the Cardinals have. But if they cannot turn things around, and we will know within the first two series when they take on the C- or Giants first, I believe, and, and the then Cubs. the Cubs, and all at home, and I think it's seven games in total, that will de- determine the Cardinals' direction at the trade deadline, in my opinion. Because if you lose four of seven, or even if you win four of seven, but you don't gain a lot of ground on the Brewers, we talked about how the Cubs are kind of parallel to the Cardinals and the Braves are kind of in that direction yesterday. To me, then you have to start looking at selling pieces. And KK, if he's pitching well still, the starting pitching market is not very deep. KK might become the second or third best option, depending on the Braves' direction. For sure. He might be the second, third, or fourth best option on the trade market. So to me, you have to look at it. He's on a one-year deal Maybe you can trade him off as a rental piece to somebody, and then maybe you can just go back out in the offseason maybe re-sign him if you want to bring him back. To me, he's the most valuable asset because I don't think Miller's there, and they're really the only two guys I think that you consider trading. To me, I would look to move KK if I don't turn things around, but that's just my opinion.
3: I'm not moving him. He's going to be on the Cardinals the rest of the year. I think he's going to be about the same in the second half as he was in the first half. I think this is who he is. He's not going to go deep into games. He's going to consistently give you five, maybe six innings. And you're going to feel pretty good about it at the end of the year. You're going to get there, and he's going to average around that. So, in 30 ish starts for the Cardinals, he'll give you like a hundred and. 40 to 150 innings, and that's perfectly adequate. He's going to give you like a 3-2-3-3 ERA. I would have signed up for that probably at the beginning of the year. That's where a lot of the projections had him. I think that's probably where he's going to finish. So I'm going to say he's going to be roughly the same, and he will end this season with the Cardinals. It's 12-15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler coming up in about 15 minutes or so. I want to talk about one that got away because we've done this a lot with position players. There's a lot. There's a pitcher that we got to talk about for the Cardinals. So we'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming Luke up Lever. next, where does Jeremy Rutherford see the answer for the Blues on the left wing if Gabriel Landeskog and Matthew Kachuk aren't options for them? We'll talk about getting creative with the Blues with JR next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
1: It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN.
3: Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Let's talk some blues with our blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford. He works for the Athletic Basketball. He's where you can find his work. You can also follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. JR, what's going on, my man?
5: Not too much. BK Busy Week, though. Could be
3: absolutely so i'm curious where are we right now with the blues what are the latest things that you're hearing what what can you tell us about where they stand right now is where, I guess, what four days away from the protection list officially needing to be in
5: yeah all pretty quiet uh, right now and as we always say in the business you know that can change moment to moment but uh, you know the key issues uh this week are uh turning in the protected list and that's going to happen on saturday as you've discussed and then sunday that'll be made Uh, public. Uh, Possibly you could see some action prior to Doug Armstrong turning in that list on Saturday. You know, everything is kind of interconnected in terms of who they're going to protect and who they're going to try to sign before uh, turning in that list. Does Jaden Schwartz get signed? If not, then Seattle would have a chance to talk to him as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, And then also hanging over everything is the Vladimir Tarasenko situation in terms of him asking for a trade request and the blues trying to uh, work through that. And could that happen prior to uh, turning in the protected list Saturday or does that uh, linger past uh, that date? So uh, lots of things going on right now. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if anything uh, were to happen, but at the moment uh, I can't say anything's imminent.
3: So let's talk about, let's kind of work our way down the board. If you will, Um, the priority number one, at least as far as I can see, it seems to be, Uh, From Blues fans, Gabriel Landeskog and or Matthew Kachuk, like explore those two options first and then everything else kind of flows from there. Would you agree with that assessment that those are kind of the top two big fish that are potentially out there for the Blues?
5: Well, considering that every time I look at my uh, Twitter feed, the tweets say, do not tweet unless you're telling me that the Blues have either signed Landeskog or traded for Matthew Kachuk, I would agree with you.
3: (laughs) Okay. But uh, that's how it's been. Yeah. So if that is where they start, Jr. what do you think they do if they can't land one of those two guys? Like If they end up exploring this Matthew Kachuk thing and they find out, OK, Calgary is not moving on from them, him this offseason. Maybe it's more likely next offseason. And then they explore the Gabriel Landeskog option and free agency and Landeskog is not going to end up leaving Colorado. Who are the other options that could fill that top line left winger role, Jr.
5: Well, first of all, BK, you know, Doug Armstrong, he's bold. He he exhausts all of his options. He goes for the, the big fish when it makes sense, like he did with Ryan O'Reilly. But at the same time, he's got to be safe and protect what he has. And right now, that's Jaden Schwartz. I know there's been interest in keeping him, you know, recently uh, there have been d- discussions. So... You don't know what's going to happen with Matthew Kachuk. You don't know what Gabriel Landeskog is thinking. I have heard that the Blues will express interest in Landeskog when uh, free agency comes, if he indeed remains a free agent and hits the market. Uh, but in the meantime, not knowing what's going to happen with those two situations, they've got to try to reach an agreement with, uh, w- with Jaden Schwartz. If it doesn't work out with Jaden Schwartz, obviously that leaves uh, more cap room. Perhaps uh, that goes to a Landeskog if everything works out, and maybe you try to talk to Calgary about Matthew Kachuk. I've said to you in recent weeks I don't think that would happen this summer. Quite possibly it could, but you know I think that's something for for down the road. Now stepping back from everything we just said and said, okay, look if, if they can't sign Schwartz, they strike out on Landeskog. Kachuk uh, isn't moved this off season. Where do they go? I think it's a situation where you're going to see, you know, uh, Braden Shen primarily play on that left side. I think that, uh, you know, you'll probably see what we've seen the past couple years is some sort of combination of Zach Sanford, Sammy Blay, get some opportunity. Probably won't be popular with the fans, but I think that's a possibility. Uh, Blake Coleman's an unrestricted free agent. Makes some sense playing on the left side. He being from the Tampa Bay uh, Lightning and now you have a situation where you got a Zach Parise who uh, will be available in free agency. And I'm not saying he's your second line guy. I'm just saying could he be in the mix somewhere? Um, he's going to be cheap and he's got some experience, so that, that's another possibility.
4: Well, you mentioned Zach Parise Jr. Do you th- they were Zach Parise and Ryan Suter were bought out today by the Minnesota Wild that broke this morning. How much interest do you think the Blues will have in both of those guys?
5: Yeah, a little early to tell. I think everybody a little bit surprised, uh, even though, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about uh, Parisi and his future for the past couple of years. But uh, Bill Guerin making a bold step today. He's going to spend a lot of money uh, for those guys not to play for the Minnesota Wild with both uh, Parisi and Suter. To me, I think Parisi of the two makes a little more sense. The one thing you have to be careful of is, you know, he wasn't happy as a healthy scratch. You know, can he come in and play fourth line minutes for you? Uh, if, he can, if he can, you know, and in a pinch he plays third line for you, but then potentially he could come in and, and help you out. Suter, I think he can still play. And, and, of course, you know, when you got a guy with that kind of experience who's coming in for, you know, pennies on the dollar, yeah, sure, why not? The only thing is the Blues have uh, right now currently you have Krug, you have uh, Scandella, you have Vince Dunn, you have Nico Mikola. You know, are you going to bring in a Ryan Suter at the expense of developing the for example? You know, we don't even know Vince Dunn will be here uh, in a couple days. So I think some of those things have to play out. Fortunately, all that's going to happen uh, before the Blues get to free agency and have to – you know, consider, do we try to go after a, a Ryan suitor? So I think he can help you. Yeah. But I just don't know that he makes sense for the blues.
3: We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, our blues insider for one one ESPN. And you can find his work over at the athletic, give him a follow on Twitter. He's at J P Rutherford Jr. Earlier today, we talked to Joe Haggerty of Boston hockey. Now about the possibility of Vladimir Tarasenko, maybe going in a package to Boston for me That seems like the best case scenario for the blues as a landing spot, just because they have multiple players that could be of interest to St. Louis. Do you view Boston as like, if we're just looking at the return that the blues could get in any Vladdy trade, does that to you make the most sense, given the fact that they have Jake DeBrusque and Trent Frederick, who can both play on the left side for them?
5: Yeah, I think it's one of them. And we had the piece up yesterday, uh, landing spots for Tarasenko and what the Blues could possibly get in return. Two things, you know, when you do a story like that, you really can't get into uh, the cap space because cap can get moved as we see every offseason. And, and secondly, you know, when we say that the Blues could get this back, a first-round pick and Trent Frederick from the Boston Bruins, as Joe said earlier in your interview, you know, maybe that materializes if there's more to the deal going to Boston than just Tarasenko. Maybe Vince Dunn is going uh, to Boston. So in terms of what the Blues would want from the Bruins and could the Blues be interested in making a deal with them, yeah, I think that's definitely a spot. I know that's uh, one of the teams that's on Tarasenko's list that he's provided the Blues. Um, They do have a couple players. You touched on DeBrusque, uh, was a good player earlier in his career, hasn't produced uh, the last year or so. And then you have Trent Frederick, who's a much different player, Uh, brings kind of that edge that physicality and you know if you can pry that first round pick away from the Boston Bruins number 20 overall the Blues need assets I think that type of deal could work and in the meantime it frees up some cap room for Doug Armstrong to go into uh, free agency and maybe that allows you to uh, to talk to Landis or to talk to somebody else on that left side to me the best deal for Tarasenko isn't going to 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 be bringing in an established player, because I don't think you're going to get even value for that. I think it's going to be trying to find something where, um, you know, maybe, maybe you get a, a lesser player. Maybe you get a draft pick, a prospect, but you're able to use that cap space to better your team at a different position.
3: JR, if you did make a package deal with Vladimir Tarasenko and Vince Dunn, does that need to get finished within the next three days?
5: Well, I think it it could, and it probably would benefit you to do that because then it would uh, make your protected list a lot easier and you could protect the more guys. So perhaps you don't lose an Ivan Barbashev if you're able to pull off that kind of deal in the the next couple days. But, you know, I always say this, but if there's one thing I've learned from watching Doug Armstrong work for years and years is, you know, I don't think he's going to be rushed into making an ill-advised Tarasenko deal or an ill-advised Vince Dunn deal just to get it done before the protected list. It could happen. I'm just saying I I try to go on experience with Doug, and that's what I've seen from him. You know, he's not going to rush into uh, something like that. And then also one thing that he told me uh, and told the media a couple months ago that still sticks with me is, you know, don't trade a guy like Vince Dunn just to get something for him so that you don't lose him in the expansion draft because let's say you trade Vince Dunn for a second-round pick. Well, now you lose – Ivan Barbashev in the expansion draft, okay, well, now you've lost two guys and you've got a second-round pick coming back. So, you know, I I would think that if you're going to trade Vince Dunn, the deal has to make sense from a hockey standpoint as opposed to just uh, not losing him in the uh, expansion draft.
3: Right. The only reason I mention that is because I would imagine he would probably be the most um, interesting player for Seattle in the expansion draft, so you probably would lose him there and after the protection lists are put in on July 17th, so I think that's Saturday, Saturday there's a freeze yeah. on the roster, right? So you would right. you would basically eliminate any chance of being able to make that move with Vladdy and done if you don't have that done by Friday evening, Saturday morning, right?
5: Yeah, so the trade freeze will kick in and you won't be able to move them, but gotcha. you know, going back to to what I was saying is, you know, if if Doug Armstrong doesn't find the deal he likes with one or both of those players prior to the protected list. Then he just makes the protected list what it is and then tries to make a trade uh, with Tarasenko after uh, the uh, Seattle expansion draft. And if Dunn's gone, you know, Dunn's gone. So I don't think they want to lose him. I think they're going to try to do everything they can to not lose Vince Dunn. I'm just saying that I don't think there's going to be a rush to make a deal. Uh, just to, uh, to to make one and not lose him in the expansion draft. I, I think Doug's going to have different plans up his sleeve to tr- to try to prevent that from happening.
3: Last thing that I wanted to ask you as a follow up was: we're talking with Jr. here on 101 ESPN. Do you think there's any chance that they could try packaging up Vlady Tarasenko and Tori Krug to Boston?
5: I think there's a possibility. You know, there's so many endless things that that you could ask, and you know, just trying to stay specific to your question there you know, Tarasenko's going to be on the move. Uh, Tory Krug, you know, has it been perfect? No. Could he, by being with the team on a daily basis and, you know, uh, being around his teammates, being able to go out and enjoy himself, you know, fit in better and, and thus maybe lead the, to a better player on the ice? Perhaps that could happen, like we saw with, uh, with Justin Falk. But the one thing with Boston – and Tory Krug, to your point here, is there's a reason they didn't sign him to a six or seven year deal for six million, six five. They they didn't think, as Joe Haggerty told you earlier, that uh that player was worth that type of contract. So if they make that trade now, that's exactly the deal that they're paying Tory Krug. Mm-hmm. So, you know, could it could it happen? Yeah, it could happen, but it would kind of be going against what Boston stance has been the past couple of years on bringing Tory Krug back in the first
3: place. Interesting. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. I know you're going to be filling in with us on Friday for an hour, so we're looking forward to that. Hopefully we'll get some news between now and then. Yep. Sounds good. BK. Thanks a lot, buddy. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford blues insider for 101 ESPN and the athletic. If you missed his piece over on the athletic that he referenced about potential Vladimir Tarasenko landing spots? You should check that out over there. It's well worth the price of subscription. You could also find it on his Twitter account at, at JP Rutherford. I found it interesting him talking about uh, the best deal for Tarasenko might not be landing a uh, established NHL veteran, but rather just finding a draft pick or a prospect or something where you get rid of the money and that might be the priority that's kind of where i'm at on this now boston's different and that they give you kind of the ability to get both if you were to pair vladi tarasenko and vince dunn together and you get this done before saturday afternoon when these things are due the the protection list maybe you get trent frederick who is both a prospect and in some ways of v- an established veteran then you also are able to slash like $6, 7000000 million from your salary cap. That helps in every regard. Boston's unique in that way, though. There aren't very many teams that have a player like Trent Frederick who they could offer to you that are also going to be in the bidding war for Vladimir Tarasenko. So it it could come down to, does Boston want to get this deal done now? And if not, then they're probably out of this. And if they don't want to, then now you're looking at some of those other teams that do give you a prospect in return.
4: And that's the thing that kind of hurts you with the Boston one because we've said it makes the most sense. But as Joe Haggerty said when we talked to him, they've got three unrestricted free agents that yep. they're trying to figure out. Taylor Hall, Krejci, and then uh, Tuka Rass. So it sounds like they're not going to be willing to do anything until they can figure that out. So then it just comes down to how long is Army willing to hold on to Vladimir Tarasenko before he makes a move?
2: Yeah, I mean, at this point, Freeing up cap space is almost as good as getting a player back, in my opinion, just because you can take that money and do something else with it, just like JR said, especially looking at other aspects of your team. I know everyone is pretty dead set about getting this left winger, which the Blues absolutely need, but there's some other parts of this lineup that they need to clean up as well, so having a lot of space to to play around with and especially you know if you're gonna bring bozak back you're gonna bring schwartz back They've been the, the hot topic. Are you gonna bring Hoffman back? Who knows? So you need a couple left-wingers You probably need a left-handed
3: defenseman who brings a little bit of size and grit to the table Um I, I think they could use a backup goalie, but we'll see on that one I, I would imagine <laughs> that's low on the priority list for the blues this offseason. They've got other needs. That's more of a want they, They've got a lot. They've got a lot of things that they need to get done this offseason and They've got to determine with their current roster, how many of those guys do you want to keep? Like, do you want to bring back Zach Sanford? He's a restricted free agent. If you don't, can you get anything for him on the open market? If you were to trade him elsewhere, and that's another, like we we talk about the... Uh, Krug's and the Duns as potential packages. Could you package other guys with Vladimir Tarasenko? Possibly. And it's not just Matthew Kachuk that's available out there. It's other left-wingers as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton that they're talking through right now inside of the uh, Blues Brain Trust. There's there's a lot out there, I. I'm fascinated to see what the next 72 hours or so look like around the league because today with the Wild, their decision, that's just the start of this. There's going to be a lot more to come in the days and weeks. With Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsh, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, there's one player we probably don't talk enough about in terms of the ones that got away for the Cardinals, and he's going to be a part of the All-Star festivities tonight. We'll tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ain't coming back, but the type of pitcher that they're missing is the one that they had on the roster. And what's so frustrating, Tanner, is kind of like the Blues, how they made the move for Justin Falk, and then they had to double down on it by going to get Tory Krug. And that eventually meant letting Alex Petrangelo walk. That's kind of what this was, but not with Miles Michaelis. It was going back even prior to that. It was Mike Leak. Oh, God. Mike leak was kind of the move Mike that leak he was, was supposed to bring what Lance Lynn brought to the rotation. So then you go get miles, Michaelis, he's going to be a nice little project for you to be able to bring in. And they decided, OK, yeah, we can move on from Lance Lynn because we've got this covered in our rotation. The original sin for the Cardinals was not signing Miles Michaelis and letting Lance Lynn walk. It was signing Mike Leak to that deal that they then had to send out to Seattle and they had to pay him a bunch of money to go away. That was where this really went downhill. And that was in 2017. And then the following season, they ended up going out there and getting Miles Michaelis instead of Lynn.
4: Yeah, I never really understood the signing of Mike Leak, to be quite honest with you, because... Like you said, he was brought. you had Lance Lynn, who was an innings eater for you, and then they brought Mike Leak in as an innings eater when he already had Lance Lynn. It's like, why did we have to do it? Because now I understand where the thinking process was. We don't know if we're going to be able to pay Lance Lynn, and then we can have this guy. And they needed innings guy. that
3: year, too. So 2017, they when they had both of them, uh, they, they needed both guys. But they could have gone out and some other random dude. Like yeah. the, and not the paid as much. Was, yeah, the problem was the multi-year deal for a player that – You already basically had on your roster that—that's where the issue really came in for Leak.
4: Yeah, and then I mean, the Cardinals couldn't use a guy that's leading the league in ERA right now and is an All Star. I, yeah, it's got to be one of those where he's probably the number one pitcher that got away. And I say that, and I'm talking about Sandy Alcantara that's gotten who was in a trade package. I don't know if you can say he got away. And then also Zach galleon who's hurt, but he looks like he has a bright future. Other than that, I mean, I don't know if there's any other pitchers that we can think of, but Lance Lynn is one that definitely was a huge mistake made by the Cardinals, and it goes back to, like you said, the Mike Leek deal, because then you kind of cut cut off your—I don't want to say you sever your ties with Lynn, but it was pretty much destined the moment you signed Mike Leek, It was pretty much— said that the Cardinals were and not going to bring
3: back. They didn't offer Lance Lynn a contract that offseason. Yeah. <laughs> they like, they did, weren't interested. Did they not give him a qualifying offer? No. I, they oh. didn't give him anything. They they were like we're not interested no, in bringing go, Lance Cardinals. Lynn back that that offseason. They didn't want him. Um and that's why he said whenever he came back last time that it was the most satisfying regular season win of his career. It's like that's Lynn, not good. there, there is no <laughs> love lost between, between Lynn and the Cardinals. And when you look back on them letting him go and what that meant for the rotation like there was a cascade cascade effect of what those innings were going to mean for other guys because what lance lynn did is he stabilized everything he was mm-hmm. kind of what they have right now with adam wainwright they also had that with lynn and now that's put onto the next guy's shoulders and then when he doesn't get there it goes straight onto the bullpen and that's, that's the type of guy that they're missing right now. I don't know where they find that because it'd be great if he would come here. He's not going to. But the Cardinals need to go find their next Lance Lynn this offseason. That is the exact type of pitcher that they need. Unfortunately, there just aren't a whole lot of those guys available. Like the, guys that throw 200 innings in a season – don't hit the market and when they do it's probably because they're breaking down in some capacity. so that that's the type of guy they're they're missing and they let him get away for basically nothing and that's what hurts about this one. you mentioned a couple of guys that, that have gotten away at least they got something in return like they, what,
4: they did offer him a qualifying offer that year and Lance he did, Lynn? yeah and he did climb it and the guy that they selected with their pick Griffin Roberts, the, which has been nothing. yeah, I don't know where he's at. let's see where he's at. he's in is a Springfield. Yeah, he's in Springfield right now, has an ERA of forty point five.
3: Ooh. Not great. Um I didn't I forgot that they had offered 40. him the, the qualifying offer. That's my mistake. But the, they they needed to bring him back. And looking back, that they ended up getting, I think, the three year, $30 million contract yeah. after that is with what Texas. he signed. And yeah, with Texas. He, he he's been great ever since. With Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsh on Brandon Kylie coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We talked a bit about this with Jeremy Rutherford. I want to do it again. What do the Blues do if they miss out on Landis Gog and Kachuk? Because those seem to be the clear-cut top options for them. If they miss out, then what? We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes or so, but coming up next, we're going to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast.
1: Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's open it up. A junk drawer with BK and Ferrario.
3: Let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN with Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsh. I'm Brandon Kylie Tanner, what do you got for us today, my man?
4: Do you guys like to go swimming?
2: Of course. Oh, I think yeah. I, I was say, who I think doesn't? I know
4: BK's answer. He was just on the beach yeah, who, who last week. Well, how about this? In Dubai, they are opening the world's largest swimming pool, and it is 196 feet deep. It contains 14 million liters of water And in, in case you're a little concerned about safety. 56 cameras for safety to monitor everything. 196 feet deep. The pool has a underwater film stu- studio, the largest of its kind in the region, and a media editing room, and also has a little game room where it has games in it, like, uh, what are they called? Pac-Man game machines. Help me out. Arcade. Struggling. Arcade. Yeah, Arcade no. room? Whatever foosball? They- well, they got foosball. But what, what are the game machines called? Um, Arcade Pac- games. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I was overcomplicating
0: things. <laughs> I like, uh,
1: what are you talking there, about? What,
4: do we need a thesaurus? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I don't know. But this opened up in Dubai. 196 feet. Guys, I want to go so bad. I love swimming. 196 feet. Now, granted, you got to have I can't scuba, scuba gear man. On. I can't oh, do I it. Oh, I can't either, but I would definitely My try ears, for this. it
3: messes with me. I, I'm out.
4: Oh, I'm totally down to try this. I, oyster-shaped structure. I'm... I don't know why not. 196 feet. I never done scuba diving before, but I would 100% just put on the gear and jump right in.
2: I'm good. But are you scuba diving to go play like Galaga or what? Yeah.
4: So, so like it's 196 feet deep and they have all sorts of different like sections to it. There's the game room. I also, if I remember correctly. It's basically like,
3: you know, that, uh, what's that place called? The, the city foundry that they're making. You're in St. Louis. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. Okay. (laughs) Yeah The new place that's opening up They've got all kinds of stuff inside of it It's like restaurants and everything It's a big factory basically Okay This is that but underwater Okay So they've got all kinds of stuff for you to do on the inside But instead of being on land You're going to be underwater in a scuba gear
2: Okay, so it's Doesn't that sound fun? Sounds terrible I mean, I on buzzkill
3: i mean if this was in st louis would i go sure Aww. but i'm not going to dubai for this i'm good
4: you can do multiple things in dubai though you don't have to just worry about this the coolest part says uh, divers can explore an abandoned sunken city apartment i don't know why that sounds why interesting do I want to me to do that? i don't know <laughs> I, that just sounds fun to me i can go explore exploring why not I would it, I would do this in a harpy.
2: It sounds like you're going to have to sign a few papers oh, in order oh, to. Fine. There's
3: a waiver or two oh, that's absolutely.
2: involved.
3: Apparently, oh, it's only 220 bucks, which is a lot cheaper than I would have expected. I would have thought something like this would be going for like 2 grand for an excursion like this, but it's a little more reasonably priced than I was anticipating. I don't need to be going down 200 feet though to explore a sunken apartment that's been <laughs> placed there on their own though. I'm good. I can go play <laughs> foosball <What>? and Pac-Man. <laughs> yeah, but you can't do it underwater. NBA Street. I can do all of that down at Two Plumbers and St. Peters. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, I don't, it's I don't more interesting need to be doing this in Dubai.
4: It's a more interesting story when you tell people about it and you're underwater than if you're on land.
2: No? is this like in a building or is it like in the yeah, it's ocean a night,
4: it's a big building it's I, all man-made it's all man-made uh they show a picture of the outside of it in this uh thing i'm looking at and it looks really nice uh it's, it looks like it's got pools on the outside too or maybe that's just fountains i can't quite tell exactly what are you laughing it's hard to tell looking at the photo there's a bunch of little people over there uh you know i don't know how else to describe it man
3: Sounds great. I, I don't even, to go. I don't
2: I like swimming, but I like swimming when the bottom of the pool is like 6 feet deep.
3: Yeah, uh, I'm good with that. Yeah. I don't even
2: like I mean, getting into the ocean. I, I don't need that, that. So, that's a whole nother topic, but right, I would rather I'd rather go to the lake than the ocean.
4: Please don't tell me that it's because you're afraid to get eaten by a shark.
3: Of course, I have no idea what's underneath there. We're good. I I can go into a pool and yeah. hang out and do my own thing. I don't need you to don't be, know what's in the pool got a pretty good idea yeah. i can typically see to my feet i have a good idea what's in the pool too yeah, yeah water he's, well, I think he's referring to pee yeah i mean the, do you know what's in the ocean man like there's animals out there <laughs> I, i'm assuming they're going pee at some point with tanner hendrickson <laughs> and That's andrew marsh i'm though. brandon Kylie coming up at about 15 minutes or so, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll play a game of better It or Forget It. 101 ESPN has your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Cubs. This is going to take place July 20th. So a week from today, it features an exclusive Scott and Ed Spezio. Bobblehead, winner must be 21 or older. Tickets are courtesy of Budweiser. We will give you a chance to win a pair of tickets, or four-pack of tickets, rather, coming up. At 145. Coming up next, if the blues miss out on gog and Kachuk, what do they do? We'll talk about it on 101 ESPN.
1: This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
5: I think he would be a perfect fit there personally
3: um, you know I think that there's a lot of
5: teams that would be saying that right now and that'll be a very very crowded market space because I do talk to a lot of different teams and I can tell you there's a lot of teams that are watching that one extremely
0: closely wishing hoping that he makes it to unrestricted free agency.
3: Brian Lotton on with us about a month ago talking about Gabriel Landeskog. He's going to be at the top of a lot of teams' wish lists, and it sounds like that includes the St. Louis Blues. We passed along the information yesterday from Lou Korak of NHL.com, who said the Blues are expected to pl- apply a, quote, full pitch effort for Avs captain Gabriel Landeskog. If he ends up hitting the open market, the feeling internally is that he would be a great fit as a left wing line mate with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. Of course he would. Like we all agree with that. There is nobody that disagrees with that assessment. However, the blues aren't the only team that are going to be in the bidding here. We'd like to believe that the blues are going to be at the top of his list, but we have no idea if that's true. We also don't know if he wants to leave Colorado. And if the Avs decide to match whatever he is asking for, well, he's just going to stay with the Avalanche, and that eliminates that option. Matthew Kachuk, we all agree that he would be a fantastic fit here in St. Louis. Bring the home kid back, Look a home great kid in back blue. Home. He'd be tremendous. However, we don't know if Calgary actually wants to trade him this offseason. My guess is they probably don't. Maybe he becomes a more realistic option next year. Then what? Because we focus so much on those two guys as your answer at the top line left wing spot. We haven't really gotten past that in terms of who is on that line with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. Do you have another option, Tanner? Because I think if they don't get one of those two guys, they will have to go a different route entirely. Where they start looking at depth as opposed to a legit top line left winger i think that's the route the blues would have to then turn to
4: yeah i'm with you if you if you fail to get Landeskog or kachuk which kachuk does feel like a long shot now at this point then to me it is maybe you start looking at depth that's where maybe that zach parise conversation comes back into play uh to me if you miss out on Landeskog and kachuk it's going to be really hard. We talk about this all off season that this is the off season for Doug Armstrong. He has to nail this off season to extend this cup window. In my opinion, if you fail to get Landeskog and then you still fail to address a top six left winger role, then the off has failed, and then that championship window well, may not be not closed. It's not been closed. And they're not going to go into next
3: season without addressing left wing. No,
4: no, no. But I'm saying get one of the top tier guys like a Landeskog. To me, Jane Schwartz is probably that backup plan. Sure. And we've talked about him being a backup plan, but his he's so inconsistent that it what doesn't feel get, like a success.
3: What if you get Brandon Zod and Jaden Schwartz? Then, or Kyle Palmieri and Jaden Schwartz? Then
4: I then I would start to consider that being a successful offseason because I, I think you either get a top-tier left winger like a Landis Gog or a Kachuk, a guy that is going to be on that top line with O'Reilly and Perron. But if you fail to get him, then you have to look at at least – Two big-name, or not big-name, but two that next tier down on that list. Instead of just one of those guys, to me, you would have to get two. And Schwartz and Palmieri, as you mentioned, might be that combo.
2: I like Blake Coleman, guys. He's an unrestricted free agent this year. He's not going to cost as much as what, you know. He'd probably be a third-line option, right? He would. He'd be more of a depth guy, and he's he's come to play in the playoffs. It's like, been great for him. He has. He really has. He's not going to while you by any means but he's a great death winger he's he's a left-handed shot i think he fits that mold now i've been hearing rumblings that he might want to go back to his hometown he's from texas so maybe a little date with the stars i don't know but he's a name that i think blues fans should look towards not saying they're going to grab him by any means but he he's he's one heck of a player
3: yeah, he, he makes a lot of sense for them. I mean, we talked earlier today about Parise. He, maybe he could be another option for the depth. I think if you don't get Gabriel Landeskog or Matthew Kachuk, you have run out of options as legit number one options on that top line. Th- those are the two guys, and that's why we've talked so much about them. If you can't land one of those two players, that doesn't mean the Blues can't still make a Stanley Cup run next year. They can't be a Stanley Cup contending roster, but then it has to be done the way that it was in 2019 where you have four lines that you're rolling out consistently. What it means if you get Kachuk or Landeskog is, man, you have one of the best lines in the NHL. Like mm. That's what you've just created with O'Reilly, Perron, and one of those two. If you don't have that, well, then whoever fills into that role has to be solid, and they have to be defensively responsible, and then you need somebody to fill in on that second line. Maybe it is Jaden Schwartz that they end up bringing in there, and you have to add another guy. Maybe it's Parise. Maybe it is Coleman, whoever your favorite player is. That can be that third line left winger as well. And you're going to have some of these young guys that need to step up as well so that it becomes more difficult if you can't land one of these top line left wing options, but it is still in play. I agree with your assessment though, Tanner that Jaden Schwartz is your backup plan right now. The problem is I don't know if the timeline is going to allow for that. I think the timeline will require him to be the priority because if you don't get him re-signed by this weekend, I would imagine you don't protect him and then he ends up hitting free agency and can sign anywhere and he might end up outpricing your market. He might end up getting elsewhere more than what you're willing to pay and it becomes a decision for him. Do I take $5.5 million somewhere else or $4.5 million to stay here in St. Louis? I don't know what his answer would be for that, but I would imagine he'd probably like to go get paid somewhere.
4: And not only that, too, but it, let's say he does remain on the market and you fail on the Landiscox sweepstakes you may want to bring Schwartz back on kind of that team-friendly deal like you're talking about maybe a million dollars less than the market. But if you fail Atlantis, Cog, then you may have to bump yourself back up to that price range. And to me, I don't know if the Blues want to do that because they've seen the inconsistencies in Jane Schwartz. And he's been a good player for the Blues, don't get me wrong. But you can't have what you had last year where you needed someone to be a goal scorer, and I understand it was a difficult season for Jane Schwartz Absolutely. with all the stuff off the ice. But you've seen it in the past too where he just kind of disappears for a couple of games. And if you're going to sign him and he's that – quote unquote, backup plan for that top left wing spot, you're going to need him to be more consistent. And I just don't know if that's in Jane Schwartz's game to where I'd be willing to bump up to where the market is that extra million dollars.
3: 65780 is the air comfort service tax line to get involved in the show from the 618 guys. You wouldn't have to protect Jane Schwartz. You don't. But if you don't protect him, then Seattle Kraken would then be able to potentially select him and have exclusive negotiating rights with him. So it's up to the Blues as to whether or not they want to go that route. Somebody else said that the nice thing for them is that they feel confident that Doug Armstrong will address any glaring needs unlike the other side of town with John Mose-luck. So, <laughs>
4: Wow, three one four. come on, that's not
3: nice. Let's set aside the shot at Mo, the sideswipe at Mo. I do think there's something to that. I think a lot of Blues fans are just going into this offseason saying they trust Doug Armstrong to be able to get this done. And I think I'm kind of there as well, because if there's any general manager in hockey, president of hockey operations that I trust when it comes to a lot of moving pieces, it would be Doug Armstrong. And he's got a lot of moving pieces because it starts with this Vladimir Tarasenko situation. Mm-hmm. Where do you send him? And when does that happen? Does it happen before or after the expansion draft or the protection list, at least? Then you've got the Jaden Schwartz thing that you have to get figured out. Do you want to resign him now and then protect him or do you wait You also have the Vince Dunn situation. Do you trade him now or do you allow him to be selected potentially in the expansion draft? If you trade him now, well, now somebody else is going to be selected from your team. Do you want that or do you not want that? There are a lot of moving parts that all have to be answered. And this is why this week's so significant for the Blues by Saturday. Like the answers to a lot of these questions need to be in there by Saturday. And today with the news coming out of Minnesota that they've decided to, um, buy out the contracts of Parise and Suter. This is the start of teams starting to make some of those choices. So the blues, whether it be today, tomorrow, later on this week, I think we're going to start seeing some of that from them as well. It's 1.13, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Benji Molina was on with us yesterday. He made some really interesting comments about the Cardinals' offense. We'll react to that coming up at 1.30? But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. You give us something, we'll tell you if we're betting it or forgetting it. Next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. game of Bet It or Forget It. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you've got anything to submit, let's start with this one. Guys, Bet It or Forget It. We'll start with you, Marshy. One of the two Minnesota Wild players bought out earlier this morning will be Blues by the start of next year. Bet It or Forget It. Oh, man. I'm glad we're going to him first.
2: Uh, You know, I'm going to forget it, actually. I actually don't think that they will sign. This is it. I don't think they will. I think I want them to but I, I got to go with my head here, not my heart. I don't think they will sign. I'm going to bet it.
4: I think Zach Brazy makes too much sense, does he not? Put him in on the bottom six, possibly. I, I'm thinking maybe I'm, you know, thinking too much here. Could he be the guy that could be an Alexander Steen kind of veteran presence? Sure. He's got He's a left-handed shot, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. He'd be on your bottom six, probably on your third line. I, I don't see why not. He's going to be paid the minimum more than likely. I'll bet it. I think the Blues take a run at Zach Parise. It
3: makes a lot of sense. I actually think Suter might be the one that makes even more sense, though. But it would come down to them being able to... You probably have to trade Vince Dunn and maybe find a way to either trade or expose and get uh, Scandella, uh selected in the expansion draft as well. You probably have to lose two of your left defensemen
4: that's kind of why i don't know For that if Suter's the guy because yeah. i just don't know if they can move on from Scandello, and we talked about krug earlier is there a possibility i just don't know if they move on from either one of those guys that's why i'm a little hesitant on Suter.
3: that's fair uh better to forget it guys and by the way i think i will go ahead and forget it just because i think there's a lot that goes into this and i would imagine those players are going to want to find a home sooner rather than later So I'll go ahead and forget it, but both make a lot of sense for this Blues team. Better to forget it, guys. Army will slightly overpay, and Gabriel Landeskog will end up in St. Louis for the start of the 2021 season. Army will slightly overpay for Landeskog, and he's going to be a blue for the start of next season.
2: Is this based on him not signing with Colorado? Right. I'll bet it, man. You can pay him whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care.
4: I'm going to forget it. I, I don't know if Army will overpay in market value for Gabriel Landeskog. Because I think if, if it goes to a bidding war and you have to overpay, I think Army will say, well, fine, we can maybe do the depth thing that we just talked about, so... I'll forget it. I- I'm with Marshall. I would love to see them get L- Landeskog, but if you have to overpay for him, I'm not sure the Blues will do it.
3: Only thing that I think they would be hesitant to do is include a no-movement clause. We saw that last yeah. year. That's where things could get a little dicey, and I would imagine Landeskog's going to want one as a former captain for a team that was a contender annually. So I'm going to go ahead and forget it from that perspective. The other thing to keep in mind is as much as we've talked about matthew kachuk this offseason if he is a realistic option next year and i think he will be next year mm-hmm. i don't think you're gonna want to do anything that will hinder your ability to be able to go get kachuk next year and he's gonna be costly you're not gonna get him for cheap monetary money wise he's gonna sign for probably eight eight and a half million dollars per season if you've got landis gog already on the books for like seven ish That'll make it a little difficult to be able to bring both of those guys in as left wingers. You're paying $15 million for your top two left wingers per year. That's a lot of money. So I'm going to go ahead and say forget it. If he signs here, I think it'll be for right at or below market value. Not more than what, what you would expect him to get. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for better to forget it guys. Better to forget it. Doug Armstrong is able to trade Vince Dunn and we'll hear an announcement before Saturday. Hmm. Army trades Vince Dunn prior to the expansion draft and prior to the protection list coming out on Saturday.
4: I'm going to forget it. I I think he's going to be the guy that they can't move and then they're going to lose him to Seattle for nothing. I I just feel like if we were going to have a move on Vince Dunn, I feel like we'd be hearing more about it. We kind of heard the speculation in the season about they're putting him on the block, possibly looking to move him. We haven't heard anything. And it kind of makes me wonder if when those rumors started to kind of pop up into in the middle of last season if there wasn't a lot of people that wanted to pay what the Blues value Vince Dunn as. So that's kind of why I don't think they can get a deal done and that they'll end up exposing him and then possibly losing him to Seattle. So I'll forget it.
2: I'm going to forget it too. I think Vince Dunn is the move for the expansion draft because like what JR was saying, you get rid of him, then that's one less player that you can protect essentially, or not protect, or you know what I'm trying yep. to say. And that becomes maybe Ivan Barbashev, who you kind of want to keep because he's done really good things for you in the past couple of years. And you have that kind of player in Vince Dunn already. You have Tory Krug. You have Justin Falk. What was our problem this year? It was our defense yep. and how they couldn't, you know, box guys out in front of the net we already have a couple guys that can put the puck in the back of the net from your blue line i don't think you need to go in that direction and you already have a couple other guys in your system that can basically do what vince dunn does now or what he's been doing you have jake wallman you have scott perunovic who are offensively minded so i th- i think he gets exposed i really do
3: I'm going to bet it. I think they're I think they able to find a landing spot for him. I think they get a first-round pick in return. Somebody says, you know what? We need a player that is similar to what Vince Dunn brings skill set-wise. I think they're willing to overpay a little bit compared to what you'd expect. The Blues get a first-round pick, and then they're able to flip that later on for another deal. Put, so it, I think it, off,
4: put it on the board? No. Nah, not con- not that not confident. that confident no. in it.
3: 65780 oh, is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys... Rob Manfred made some statements earlier today, both about some of the rule changes that could be in effect. It sounds like the seven inning double headers are going to be gone. I knew I liked Rob. The ghost runner on second for extra innings is likely going to be gone next year. The DH is likely going to be in next year for the guy. National League. Rob Manfred also said Las Vegas is a, quote, viable alternative for a major league club. And there are other viable alternatives as well. But I have not turned the A's loose to explore. He also added that this quote is not a bluff, and thinking about this as a bluff is a mistake. Better to forget it. There will be a baseball team located in Las Vegas within the next five years.
4: Bet it. This is to me. This is the easiest one we've had today because I, to me, baseball would be crazy not to get a team in Vegas. It is the up and coming uh sports city you've got the sports gambling world is kind of hitting that place home gambling there we've seen uh the Oakland Raiders go from there so you have kind of that connection and Nashville was talked about as being a expansion city I, I to me you have if you're major league baseball you have to get rid of not sorry not get rid of but you have to figure out something with Oakland and Tampa Bay two teams have been looking for uh trying to build new stadiums there's not been much traction Oakland moving to Vegas would make a lot of sense in my opinion, so I'll bet it. I I think the Oakland A's will be in Las Vegas. What was the number five years? Yep. I I think it'll be within five.
2: I'm going to bet it, too. I told you guys, I think Las Vegas is the new Los Angeles in terms of bringing teams and trying to get revenue because, like you said, sports gambling is becoming a thing. You already have the NHL. The NFL is there. A lot of big cities, they have the big three or part of the big three of the big four sports so plus you have three of some of the biggest players in at least that I can count on the you know the top of my head Joey Gallo Chris Bryant yep. and Bryce Harper they're all from Nevada they all played with each other or against each other in some capacity
4: we forgot one Brad Thompson
2: Good oh point. my goodness former
3: former superstar as well
2: I'm just gonna I'm going to find the door real quick.
3: <laughs> I'm going to bet it as well. I think this one makes all the sense in the world. I think it probably ends up being the A's that go there, and then we'll see what happens with Tampa. Sounds They're like end up Montreal somewhere, but maybe. We'll, we'll see what happens with them. The one that is easy, though, this one makes too much sense not to happen. So I fully expect that it'll take place. Five years seems like a pretty good timeline. These take a little longer than you would expect them to. But I think that, yeah, the Oakland A's will eventually end up playing as the Las Vegas A's or Aces. Maybe they switch their name a little bit. with Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsh. I'm Brandon Kylie. Last one here for you guys really quickly. Let's get this one in before we get to the other side. Better to forget it. Joey Gallo is a Cardinal by August 1st. Forget Joey it. Gallo, a Cardinal by August 1st. Forget
2: it. Forget <laughs> it.
4: I'm going to forget it, too. I don't know if the Cardinals make that big a
3: move at the trade deadline. I don't think the Cardinals need somebody like Joey Gallo. I think they have Joey Gallo on their roster already. His name's Tyler O'Neill. Unless so. Joey
2: Gallo is a relief pitcher in the next couple of weeks. I don't think the Cardinals oh, maybe, will be getting him.
3: Maybe he could pitch. And he can throw. I don't know if he could pitch, but he can definitely throw. <laughs> hey,
4: if Matt Carpenter has an ERA of zero on the mound, I would not put it past Joey Gallo to be a great pitcher.
3: The nice thing for Gallo is he's a left-handed option, so he helps you from that regard, but I, I just don't know if that's the kind of move that they're going to get. The other thing is he has he has reverse splits a little bit, so I I don't know. I don't think Joey Gallo's the guy for the Cardinals. I'm going to go ahead and forget that. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll cross things over with the fast lane, but next Benji Molina made some interesting comments with us yesterday on the show about the Cardinals offense. What do they need to do to improve? It might be philosophical and it might be tough to do in season. We'll hear from Benji Molina next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and
1: Ferrario podcast.
3: Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Andrew Marsh and I'm Brandon. Kiley will cross things over with the fast lane coming up in about 15 minutes or so, but we talked with Benji Molina yesterday, the brother of Yadier Molina. And of course, a two-time gold, gold glove winning catcher as well in his own right. I wanted to talk to him about the Cardinals offense because he sees it up close and in person regularly as the Cardinals Spanish language broadcaster. What has he seen in the first half that needs to change in the second half? Here's what Benji Molina had to say about what he wants to see the Cardinals' offense do to improve.
7: Let me tell you my my feel. Let me Please? tell you my, what I think. If every every hitter in that team, and we've seen it, and, and we've seen it, if every single guy, doesn't matter who it is, stays inside the ball and uses the big part of the field more and try to hit line drives instead of fly balls. I mean, seriously, the other day we had one game. This is just one game. 22 out, or 12 strikeouts and 10 fly balls. How many outs do you get in the game? 27. So that gives you five outs to work with because you're either striking out, 12, and fly ball, which is a lot we all know that it's a high percentage being caught. I think I really do believe this. These kids, all of them, stay inside the ball. And that doesn't mean right-handers go to the opposite field. It doesn't It doesn't mean that. It means stay inside the ball. Use the big part of the field, hit hard ground balls, hit, hit line drives. I really, really do believe that it will make a big difference on the offense.
3: It's interesting to hear him talk about that because I think when, we, when you look at the players that are on the roster, you would assume the Cardinals are a line drive team. They're not a, a home run team. They are gap to gap, hit a lot of doubles, play with speed. And yet when you look at their line drive percentage on the season – they're in the bottom third of the league when you look at what they're doing in terms of their strikeout rate this is the only place and far be it for me to do this but the only place that i will disagree with benji a little bit on is the strikeout numbers the cardinals have actually been good on strikeout numbers this year they have the third lowest strikeout rate in baseball and it might not feel that way sometimes when you're watching them because strikeouts across the league are up but The Cardinals prevent strikeouts quite a bit. They're pretty good at making contact, but it's about what happens when you make that contact that's been an issue for them. They're not hitting the ball hard enough consistently. They're not hitting enough line drives, and they're not spraying it all over the field quite enough this year. They're one of, in terms of going the opposite field, one of the lower rates in baseball as well, bottom bottom third of the league in that regard. That's what needs to improve. You got to start spraying into all fields. You got to start hitting some more line drives. You got to start going the other way. And if you can do those things with this offense, well, now you could start seeing some of those results fall into place. They got a little too Homer heavy early in the season. They did have some success with that. But I think now we're starting to see that was a little bit of the forbidden fruit for them. They got excited about the early successes, and now they're seeing some of the failures of it.
4: Yeah, I'm with you. You have got to start taking the ball the other way, and really, the only Cardinal that we've seen do it is Dylan Carlson. I, I and I think Goldie's done it a little bit. Arnado kind of too, but Arnado, I heard on the broadcast on Saturday when they're playing the Cubs on Fox, they're saying how Arnado's pulling the ball more this year than he did when he was in Colorado, and I think that's probably true. If I think about it, most of Arnado that I've seen, it looks like he's trying to pull the ball more. So, uh, the. This team is built to be a gap-to-gap team, as you mentioned. I am still all in on the fact of the matter that it's all about slug, baby, but this team's not built to do that. Yeah. This team has to take a different approach. And, like you said, they have speed. So, if you can take the ball the other way, get on base, then you can kind of start to become aggressive on the base pass because there's no need, that there, or there's no reason why Tommy Edman, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, when those guys get on, there's no reason that those guys shouldn't be thinking about stealing second base. And I'll even throw Carlson into that category. I think Carlson's got good enough speed to where he can swipe 10 bags in a regular season, in my opinion.
2: I think that's just a byproduct of what baseball has become. It's become the, the big home runs. And when you don't get that, well, you're probably going to strike out. But what we've seen in the past is you put the ball in play, good things happen. It's just like in hockey. You get the puck on net, good things happen. So, I mean, like I said, it's just it's kind of like a byproduct of what baseball has become over the past couple of years. The the tough part, though, is how do you change it? How do you get back on track? Because it's easy to say,
3: hey, line drive, stay inside of the ball, make sure that you're hitting the other way. All of these things are great. But then we talked with Benji Molina about this yesterday. What kind of adjustments can the Cardinals make and how difficult is that to do in season for them? Marshy, i to a cut <laughs> Benji Molina on the Cardinals making adjustments uh, and then going straight back to what they had done previously.
7: I'm kind of like an old school guy where I like to spread the ball around. I like to 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 touch the ball. I like to hit the ball. I like people in my lineup who can do hit and run. So I can do things. I like guys who can sacrifice uh, and I bat for my team. Uh, move the guy over, uh, sacrifice anything to get that guy in. I like that stuff, you know? And, and these days you don't see it in, in baseball overall. So I don't know, man. It's hard for me to to see that right now uh, because they show you flashes, but then they go back to the same uh, same old way. So it's, it's very difficult.
3: That's the thing. It's tough for this team to be able to make these adjustments midseason. If they were able to, well, then, of course, you come out in the second half and you just start You're spraying the ball all over the field, and this offense is going to look exactly like we expected it to coming into the season. The problem is it's not that easy. This is more of an off-season thing as opposed to an in-season adjustment that they can make. So when you watch them coming out in the second half, I expect the offense to look kind of similar in terms of stylistically to what we saw in the first half of the season. Is that what you're expecting as well, Tanner?
4: Yeah, that's that's what I expect because it is just too difficult. There's a reason why they say you do this certain thing in the off-season. It's because you have time to kind of work on it. There's no pressure of a game that's there. There's no pressure of we have to win tonight. You can't do that in the regular season. You're not just going to flip the switch and then there it is. We're starting to hit the ball the other way. It's going to be a philosophy change that's going to have to occur in the coaching staff and in the players once you hit the off season. So I'm with you. I do not expect to see a whole lot of change from the offense uh, coming into the second half.
2: I agree. It really is a philosophy thing within the clubhouse, within the organization itself, and that just doesn't change overnight and if you're going to do that you're sort of going against the grain of the rest of the teams in the entire league because like like we've talked about it's the MLB is kind of focused on getting the big fly getting you know getting those big guys up there and just mashing home runs and that's what the excitement has been but this isn't just a, a thing you change overnight but it seems like the Cardinals kind of need it to change overnight.
3: They definitely do. So this begs a question. Like, if you can't change the trajectory of your offense the rest of this year, then what can you change? And what is on the line for the Cardinals the rest of the season is something the fast lane talked about, about a little bit yesterday. I thought it was interesting. I don't think there are a whole lot of stakes for the Cardinals the rest of this season. And that might sound strange to say, but think about it kind of objectively through the prism of the owner or the president of baseball operations. Like nobody's getting fired after this season. In my opinion, I don't think, I think the Cardinals have made it pretty clear. They're all in on Jeff Albert, whether we agree with it or not. I think they're all in on it. Mike Schilt is not getting fired after this season. Even if the Cardinals were to go like 83 and 79 and miss out on the playoffs, John Mosey certainly is not going anywhere. He is secure in his job. So then you look at the player level. Well, who are the guys that are really at risk of losing their everyday spots? Maybe Paul DeYoung. Maybe. Other than that, can there's I, not a whole lot of them. Can I
4: throw one? I don't know if you. to me, he'd lose his everyday spot possibly, but he would definitely still be on the team. I think Tommy Edmund. I. The more I see Tommy Edmund, I I love him defensively at second base, but I don't know if he's an everyday player to put in your lineup. If you can have an upgrade – and I don't know if Gorman will be ready or not, so I don't want to just throw out, oh, Gorman's the second baseman to start next year. But if you can find maybe a middle infielder that can kind of step in and then you can slide Tommy Edmund to the utility role to where he's maybe your fourth outfielder and then your backup shortstop, second baseman, third baseman, hell, maybe even your backup first baseman. I think Tommy Edmund's kind of playing in the second half of this season to prove that he's an everyday player because you look at his numbers and I mean, we talk about him. We say, oh, you know, he's looked okay at the plate. 258 average. okay. It's below, the, on base, base is the killer. Problem. It's below 300 right now, and his OPS plus is 89, so he's below league average. Now, I don't expect his slugging to be high up there, but I do want to see here's the a, on base percentage go up because he's supposed to be a leadoff hitter.
3: Here's an OPS for two different players. You tell me who you think they are. One, 671. The other, 672. Any guesses on who those two guys are? Okay, I'm going to go 671 is Paul DeYoung. What's well, a 672?
4: I'm going to assume Tommy Edmond.
3: It's the opposite. Tommy wow. Edmonds' OPS on the season is one point lower so far this year than Paul DeYoung. Now his batting average is significantly higher, his on-base percentage is roughly right around the same area, but Paul DeYoung has been better in the slugging percentage department so far this year. And we all look at Paul young as having a terrible offensive season. He's been really struggling at the plate. That goes to your point, Tanner. Of okay, we we view one through the prism of he's really struggling. The other, we feel pretty good about what he's done so far this year. I think a lot of that was because of the start that we saw from Tommy Edman. I think he's going to be a regular either way for them next year. It could be a question of, is he starting every day at second base? Or is he a utility guy where he plays somewhere every day? Although it may not be at second, that's up in the air, in my opinion. But this is just a, a situation where the Cardinals, while having a lot on the line this season in terms of the playoff spot and how fans feel about the team, I don't know how many guys have a whole lot on the line in terms of what their future holds in St. Louis. So it's, it's a weird dynamic that's taking place right now. With Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsh, I'm Brandon Kylie Coming up next, we'll cross things over, and we're giving away a four-pack of tickets to Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Cubs. You'll have an opportunity to win those, that four-pack coming up next on 101 ESPN.
1: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
3: for you to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Cubs. What more could you ask for? It features an exclusive Scott and Ed BZO bobblehead. Winners must be 21 or older. You can get your tickets right now on cardinals.com backslash promotions, or you can win them right now. Tickets are courtesy of Budweiser. Earlier today, we talked about the one that got away for the Cardinals, and no, we were not talking about Randy Rosarena. If you can be texture number six At 65780, that's the Air Comfort Service Text Line. With the one that got away for the Cardinals, with the name for that player, you will win the four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash.
6: Crossing things over with the Fastland, we got BT in studio. What's going on, man? This might be bad timing here due to the fact that you just asked for this, but who was the one that got away? Because I missed that. Was it a pitcher? One. Was it a position player? Three. We getting a lot of them? Four because i'm interested okay now we're good uh
3: lance lynn <laughs> lance lynn was the one that got away okay um they could really use that guy right about now you think yep yeah yeah you look back on what they needed over the last few years and what he provides which of course is innings um he was the one that got away
6: innings and a mentality that yep. uh that, that he'll rip your face off all while of the he's above I really enjoy Lance Lynn. He's like one of my, uh, he's one of my favorites to watch. Like if he's on TV, I'm gonna be watching. And you know what you're gonna get? You're getting cheese heaters, and then he'll mix in a slider here and there when he needs to. And then you are getting more cheese heaters. And he's probably gonna MF somebody coming off the yep. mound. And I know what I'm signing up for, boys. And I enjoy stuff like that. He, uh, he and the manager at the time didn't get along so. I heard something about that. So they didn't see eye to eye, in life basically so you know what are you gonna do he's on to a new play it's funny he
3: i don't know if you saw the article on the post-dispatch rick hummel was able to catch up with lynn down at the all-star game and lynn said something about you know the the cardinal way excuse me the new cardinal way and he was kind of taking a little bit of a dig at Mike Matheny and the way that he was doing things. So uh I appreciate any and all digs that Lance Lynn takes at people that have looked down on him in the past.
6: Well, you you, you guys heard it. And I'm just paraphrasing. But after he beat the Cardinals, he was asked like how how it felt in the Zoom afterwards. And it was like it was the most satisfying win I've had in my life. Like yep. ba- Basically is what it was like. He, I appreciate that. I'm well, glad he's open and honest about here's it. Here's what I appreciate uh even more so than, than the open and the honesty. I appreciate appreciate like athletes that have a real chip on their shoulder, like whether whether it should be there or it shouldn't be there that they always find something. We use Michael Jordan as yep. an example of this all the time. Like this guy ruled the world. Yet he was always looking for some sort of a, uh, oh, you address me this way or you didn't talk to me at a dinner or, you know, whatever it is. He was always looking for something. Great athletes do that. They build up stuff like that. I was reading a story this morning about Jason Tatum. He was upset about not getting a name to a, the, an all NBA team, mm-hmm. right? And certainly there's a lucrative side of that where he could have been offered that max contract, whatever. But he said it ain't about that. It's about the respect and, and everything that he did to build up. Jason Tatum's a star. Like he's yeah. a great player, but there's always there's that, that little chip right there. So, like, all right, well, you didn't think I was good enough for that? I'm gonna be good enough for that now. Lance Lynn's got a lot of that.
3: Yeah, I think every great athlete, honestly, you can walk into any any walk of life, and there's a lot of people like that, right? Like whether it be doing what we do or a salesperson that was passed over for a promotion, like whatever it is, if you're one of the best at your job at whatever it is that you do, you probably got a little bit of that bleep you mentality. Otherwise, you probably aren't. The best at what you do that's how you get there a lot of the
6: time there's other you ways to do it, grow but, right yeah like, you, you gotta find something to continue to grow like uh you know tanner's a really good example like he mfs everybody like down the hallways <laughs> and he'll throw people under the bus gotta send a message yeah but look look at him here look, now he's co-hosting, co-hosting. He's look at hair. this <laughs> yeah tanner how old are you 21 tanner is co-hosting
3: a damn midday radio show in one old. of the top 25 markets in the country at 21 years old he's got a
6: chip that's on amazing. his shoulder Looks to be a Dorito. <laughs> oh, is it?
4: How was I did have some. It was good. Is it lovely? Yeah, it was good. Uh, I think it was a cool ranch. Is that what you said? Yeah, cool ranch and a nice little sandwich. I didn't suspect mm. you
3: to be a cool ranch guy. I thought you for sure would have been like nacho cheese. Something like that. The OG, because
6: right, uh, you're you're a throwback kind of a guy, even though for 21, he you got is, an old soul, Tanner. I do, I He's do. He's an
3: old man. He's right there with you I, on the DH thing. Did that break your
6: heart when you saw uh, Rob Manfred said earlier today that's it's looking likely? No, we all knew that that part of it was coming. That broke it's my heart. Fine. I'm gonna uh, I'm still gonna watch baseball the same amount. I'll end up being okay with it. I will just take shots every once in a while of how there's no strategy in this game, and I'll, I'll certainly mention people get off my lawn.
4: Hey, hey, were you excited to see the uh, no seven-inning doubleheaders next year? Uh, Well, I
6: I mean, I was excited. I'm actually a little bit torn on this one, too, because from a broadcast standpoint, (laughs) great. I'm digging it. (laughs) Give me 14 innings of fun, and then we'll call it a day. Uh, Do you think players like it? I do. I, do,
3: I would have kept that. That would have been one. Th- that's probably the one thing that's been implemented during the pandemic. that I'm like, I think that had some staying power. Yeah, I wish they would have kept that around. I,
6: I think they like that one. But but at the end of it, right, we play nine innings. We play nine innings all the time. So it makes sense to be able to go back sure. to it, especially as COVID protocols are lifted. Who won the tickets? Hey, huge congrats to Scott from Cuba,
3: Missouri. Uh, he says he listens every day. I don't know if I believe him. I think he listens to the oh, mornings listens- and afternoons every day. Uh, he won the four pack of tickets to next week's Budweiser bash. Hey, BT. What's coming up today on the Fastlane,
6: man? Yeah, we got all kinds of good stuff. Look, we'll break down all-star festivities, but the one you don't want to miss today, 4.30, Hometown hero, Pat Maroon, is going to be with us today, awesome. 4.30. So, uh, Patty is going to be great, uh, assuming he wakes up in time for the 4.30, uh, 5.30, his time uh, appearance. You guys can ask him if he was the one that uh, dented the Stanley Cup. Look, uh, I'm uh, sure he'll that, give you the true, honest answer. <laughs> the way that I would present it to him is like, Patty, it looks like they gave you a bad piece of material. That's what it it's was. It's a manufacturer sure. detail. It's just a piece of metal. That's all it That's is. what anyways. I heard. The Fast lane's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 with Mark
3: Saxon filling in for us and. Well, Jockety is going to join the show tomorrow, so looking forward to that tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.